Welcome to Blind Spot. I'm introducing today because Isabella can't say the name of the podcast. I'm John Seth. And I'm Isabella Kaminska. Um, so welcome, everybody. It's been a crazy week uh, in crypto. But before we get to what's been going on in crypto, I just want a quick, uh, I just want to, um, you know, present a quick housekeeping note, which is that you may have noticed me complaining on Twitter about my YouTube channel being canceled randomly and arbitrarily. Um, and it was, they never said anything. It was very confusing. I didn't know what I did. I felt like I was in jail for no, you know, without any, pro you know, any probable cause. It was really unfair and unjust. And uh, and I had to work creatively create a new channel, which is where the pilot of this podcast was posted. Um, however, the day after, immediately, I um, was given it back. And that is... Oh, really nice. So I've got That's it back. The, the letter said you'd never get it back. It's forever. My audience, because the pilot's on a different channel. So I'm going to migrate the pilot back to the main channel. Uh, the one that we've Good. just got back. Good. But at the same time, um, yeah, so then we'll cancel the other one. But there's been mass fragmentation um, as a result of YouTube. I'm very angry with them. They never told me what I did wrong. <laughs> they just, it was just a, just a mistake. Mistakes were made, allegedly. All right. So we got Brad with us today. Brad is a nobody, which is, uh, you know, right, Brad? Thank you. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Brad's a friend of mine. He's a Canadian Bitcoiner. And uh, given the subject I matter. I love that that's how you've introduced him, a Canadian yeah. Bitcoiner. Unemployed. Unemployed Canadian. Unemployed Bitcoin. Canadian. He's a he's a member of your country, Isabella. Oh, really? Are yeah. you British? Eventually, he's, he's I guess. Canadi he's, he's Canadian. Oh, of course, because he's Canadian. Right. So I, he's de facto part see, of that, see, Brad, that's how little they care about you. The mm. queen, who's on your currency, <laughs> other than the loony, uh, barely knows you exist. Well, I'm not the yeah, queen. <laughs> but well, thank you. Thank you for, for subjects yeah. <laughs> or other subject. You're the lesser subject. I'm the lesser subject. No, no, <laughs> Not no, you. no. You're the, you're the greater subject, Isabella. It's Brad who's the lesser subject. You, you make a good point. Um, mm -hmm. Welcome fellow um, Commonwealth citizen to this yeah, podcast. <laughs> I understand you have your own podcast. What is your podcast called? Uh, it's called Brad talks <laughs> to people about therapeutic Bitcoin uh, and shitcoin issues of the time. I, I told you. I told you I didn't know the name. Brad's, Brad's therapy sessions. A boot. I love that it's got an a, a boot. boot. Yeah. Okay. Very good. All so, about Bitcoin with Brad. Brad, does your does your podcast not actually have a name? It's called Magic Internet Money. Oh, okay. So he, that's, that's what happened good. to me. He. He, he told me, he's like, you want to get on on the Internet and talk about some things? And then he and I did he like got on. And I, I, I didn't know it wasn't like just a Zoom call. And then the next day it was on the Internet. So <laughs> no, it was on the Internet anyway, that day. Let's, that, same let's day. get to the point and the heart of the matter. Now, obviously, the Blind Spot podcast is yet to be sponsored by anyone. So I'm just going to be informally uh you know, referring to Aqua Libra today, which is my drink of choice, yeah. my beverage of choice. But it, you know, whether or not they want to sponsor us is up to them. I'm sure. You know, it's excellent product placement. You probably can't get it anywhere apart from in the UK. But there you go. Uh, blur, blur that. Uh, crisp. It's logo. crisp and refreshing. Do you know it what is? it is? I've never heard of it. Do you? Have you heard it's of it? It's a zero no. calorie, bubbly water sweetened with the extract of the finest plants from the Amazon and Aztec rainforests. Brad's doing our reading. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good research. Very good research. Exactly. It, it is very refreshing. So 
Other than that, though, what has been going on in the crypto world? Is it the end of crypto, Josh? Yes. It's the end. Brad's going to take Brad. the other side of that. Brad, is it? No. Yes. <laughs> no, that's not helpful. It's the end of a lot of things in crypto. I mean, uh, we've, we've been watching. I mean, for many years, uh, those of us who consider ourselves Bitcoin maximalists, uh, of which a, a, a brand of person that a club that both Brad and I belong to, I believe uh, we have we have been saying that everything on Ethereum and everything on a lot of these chains is complete horse duty. And uh, I think that we're just being vindicated right now. And a lot of that stuff, I think, is coming to an end. So, uh, Brad, Josh made um, a very well, he, he said something very nice. He said, Brad predicted the, the downfall of Celsius almost perfectly. Um, and, 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 Terra, and Terra Luna. And Terra Luna. And that unlike other commentators on the Internet, um, you actually know the mechanics of how it fell apart. So I thought maybe we'd right. start um, at that point. Josh, what ha just give a little backstory to those who haven't been following it. What is Celsius and when did it collapse? Well, Celsius is in the process right now so of collapsing. Collapsed. Fair enough. It's it, well, it is it it has. I mean, if you understand what's going on with it, you'll you'll understand that it is collapsed. But it like as it, it, what stage of grief are its uh, buyers in right now, Brad? Brad's uh, bargaining. They're, they're in, in bargaining. bargaining stage. Yeah. So the uh, the it's like it's literally they were they were on their Twitter space saying, maybe we can just. I'll agree to stop accepting our yield for a month to help them shore up the reserves. And we can all band together and buy the Celsius token to help the Celsius community. And, and then if we agree not to take our yield, then we can make it through. So, they, so let they me actually let, are trying right, to let me, bargain. With, let me quickly this sort of market. Sorry. Sorry. Celsius Celsius, as I understand it. And, and it's funny because as a Bitcoin maxi, a toxic Bitcoin maxi, I generally don't play in any of this stuff at all. I don't even bother looking at what it is because I know what's going to happen. The last time we had a pump, uh, the ICO craze happened. And it was, I mean, you and I did a podcast back then in, in the UK, remember, at the very beginning of that. And it was, it was just very obvious that this was the dumbest thing since sliced bread. Sliced bread is dumb. Since Wonder Bread. The dumbest thing since Wonder Bread. And uh, it was, these things were, were popping. And it was, the, everyone, everyone was saying we have a new paradigm, a new stock market. And I was like, that's just not going to happen. This will this just go away. And that's what happened. So in this cycle, we have DeFi. DeFi is decentralized finance. Decentralized finance is ICOs all over again. However, this time, instead of the companies issuing stocks, the companies are building smart contracts that they're in control of to issue all of the stock. <laughs> and then that way they can say that it is not the same as an ICO so they can avoid prison. Um, so DeFi, DeFi Celsius is a DeFi protocol. Terra Luna, which collapsed a couple weeks ago, it was a DeFi protocol. And Celsius is a lending platform, right, Brad? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, Celsius isn't really a DeFi protocol, but it used all the DeFi protocols. It's a centralized it's a company. DeFi, that, it's the same thing, basically. I mean, basically, they were DeFi in the end because they took all your money and locked it into DeFi. <laughs> well, DeFi, DeFi is not necessarily non-centralized. We've, we've discovered that, right? Yeah. So the, it, it, it being decentralized is not a matter of concern for the D part. Like, it just needs to nominally look decentralized. But they're kind of like... Uh, <laughs> Kind of like a Coinbase, right? The difference being that. So, like, the thing that there I may like, be no difference. Who knows? <laughs> we'll, well they're going. way more risky than Coinbase. Yeah, but yeah. 
Coinbase has an earned product, and that's what the SEC sued them over. Coinbase tried to introduce this, and then the SEC said, no, you're not doing that. America and for then, the win. what's that? America for the win. America for the win. I Is Celsius American? Uh, they are not American. They're uh, Russian gangsters. Ah, well, okay. Are you yeah. allowed to so, say that? Are they going to come and sue us? No, they're being arrested for fraud as we speak. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> the CFO of Celsius actually was arrested for fraud. Uh, today, was that today? It was about four months ago. Oh. So, I mean, this oh, is yeah. why it was so easy to predict Celsius was going to blow up. If you just had any sense to look and see what was actually happening. So Celsius was basically a, a um, honeypot for retail investors to earn yield on their money. Uh, so was Terra Luna. And basically, like back in 2020, this DeFi stuff started to get built out. And it was based all off on this primitive idea, not primitive, but this idea of building primitives of decentralizing finance. So in finance, you have things like borrow, lend, exchange, um, marketplaces that can be secured for borrowing and lending. And obviously, you can have like uh, analytics and all these different things synthetics synthetic things just like in the 2008 uh collapse when they were trading all these derivatives of the housing market between each other they just decided like well why don't we just take all of that and put it on a blockchain and call it DeFi and make billions of dollars what could yeah. go wrong and then so you get companies like celsius that got started up to say well this stuff is all so complicated for the average person to to get involved with synthetic derivative swapping why don't we do it for you? So you can, you know, get your grandmother to sign up with her pension, tell so, her so that she's going to earn 10% yield. And then all she does is deposit her money into the, into Celsius. She gets her 10% yield. But in the background, what they're doing is they're actually building a, building LTCM on the blockchain. And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I actually, when you were saying that the current situation is in the bargaining phase, that came, that was, the incident that came right to my head, the LTCM. Um, is, that, is, that where the, is that where the LTCM investors are now still? <laughs> well, no, but, um, but you know, that was, no, but it, it's worthwhile uh, background, which I'm sure you know, but um, when LTCM was blowing up, there was a, there was a lot of pressure for there not to be a public bailout of it. So there was, there were all these secret meetings where lots of stakeholders and different banks were clubbing together and different lenders to try and figure out a, you know, a bailout plan or so exactly how you were describing um, the current investors in Celsius trying to, to work their way out of this problem. Um, and so, then many years, sorry, I, go on. I would say like the better way to look at it is like, look at these layer one blockchains as companies in the crypto world or sorry as, as countries in the crypto world their their currencies are basically like the the bonds of the soviet union or these developing nations so in the case of terra luna the terra luna um ecosystem was basically like the bonds of russia in 1998 when the russian bonds when russia defaulted on their debt ltcm was actually three arrows capital so Three Arrows Capital is this $20 billion crypto hedge fund that was exposed to Terra Luna. And when Terra Luna collapsed and the price went to zero, they had all this uh, Three Arrows Capital and all these other tier one crypto funds had all these leveraged bets on Terra Luna continuing because, you know, it was 
a sure thing, the smartest people in the world, right? It's basically when genius failed again, but, and the same thing that you're just describing, there is no central bank to bail out DeFi because they're not big enough. And just like in LTCM situation, uh, I think it was Lehman Brothers was the bank that, that called in their debt and they decided not to, to participate in the bailout of LTCM. Well, Three Arrows Capital was Lehman Brothers in this situation. And, or sorry, Three Arrows Capital was, was uh, the LTCM in this situation. And now there's contagion, even more contagion in the crypto world because all the other banks like yeah. Alameda, FTX, they, they're all basically exposed to all of this stuff blowing up. And it's just con- going to continually fall because it's all based on synthetic derivative nonsense. Like the, it's extremely highly risk, high risk, over leveraged crap. That's that was pump, pump, pumped up on this idea that we're gonna um, <laughs> we're gonna create a new financial system, and it's all gonna be based on synthetic derivative leverage. Right. And the, only so, thing, the, the only thing that surprises me in that explanation, Brad, is that you read. <laughs> I, I only started <laughs> reading. I thought that was a very very good um, description of LTCM. It's true, um, the, these things are causing cascading failures. Like that's, I mean, that's what it is, right? Like, but it's such a great an- analog because uh, <clears throat> analogy, rather, because it, it's that same sort of Schadenfreude, uh, you know, the smartest guys in the room thing. Like all those guys really did present themselves as having like fixed finance. Um, so There's the co-founder is Alex Mashinsky. Um, yeah. He he is the one who has like recently come out and said, I think he was, he came out to reassure investors, but then he didn't actually reassure anybody. And um, what is the role in all this by um, the, is it Nexo? Um, was it? So yeah. Can you, can you actually explain the mechanics? Cause I think my listeners who come from traditional finance are listeners, Josh. Are listeners. Yeah. Well, re- real quick, real quick as well, before, before we do that, I just want to say the difference that the, the st- Stark difference between this and LTCM is that on a long enough time scale, most of LTCM's bets would have worked out, right? After they went bankrupt. And these never will. Yes. Potentially. Well, how could that have worked? Because when they went when they defaulted on their debt, didn't they just completely like it just ended and then they started anew? Yeah. So like, but but the thing is not all of their debt was Russian debt. They had lots and lots and lots of bets all over. The problem with them is they had like these cascading derivatives that when when one failed, it would cause a failure all the way down the chain. They thought they were fine. But then when one, uh, what do they have? One or two different black swan events at the same time? Because like when you make enough bets, eventually the black swans uh, pile up. Um, well, that's, you know, when they had that, then it, it just caused their basically their entire portfolio to kind of fail. But if they'd, if they'd been able, if they'd had the capital, you know, not that much even, like maybe six or seven trillion dollars, they may have been able to like uh, weather that storm. <laughs> and then if they'd held it for like 20 years, they'd be way, way up today. That's, that's the idea. That's, this, that's, the, that's the kind of counter cyclical theory that brought us um, bank bailouts. And, well, and I'm not saying, I, I'm just, I'm just saying, Isabel, that these bets yeah. like Celsius, it's going away. Terra yeah, Luna, yeah. it's going away. Like these are not like when this cascade happens, like Brad's going to explain the mechanics here of, of these protocols and how they work. But like these things are going away. They're not coming back. Like there's no, th- hold these for 30 years. They'll be worth one one thousandth, one one billionth of a penny. Um, I don't disagree. Um, Brad, let's get to the mechanics. Um, I think I've got a bit of an echo. Sorry about that. 
Um, hopefully, Horatio. I don't hear it. Oh, you don't hear it? That's fine. Um, so, Horatio, um, Brad, tell us about the mechanics and the staking side of things. That's where my head hurts. Um, sure. I understand it. I'll have to kind of walk you back to like two years ago, and it might be like a five-minute <laughs> explanation if that's... Can we have like right. one of those, um, you know, when um, in movies, when you think back and it's all fuzzy, you know? Yeah, yeah I think we have... <laughs> Horatio, you heard the request. <sighs> okay, thank you. <laughs> so, so it all started in the summer of 2019. Oh, yeah. And, Do it, Brad. <laughs> so... You know, okay, I'll go back even further than that. Like John Seth was saying, we had the ICO bubble of 2017 where all these uh, venture capitalists from Silicon Valley started to see like the opportunity to disrupt venture capital. And they thought that they could create utility tokens and then um, get, get, get rid of this uh, sort of unfair SEC regulated accredited investor thing where you have to have some kind of uh, financial IQ to invest in early stage investing. And they said, well, with the blockchain, we can allow democratize access to the types of gains we get in venture capital to everybody. So your grandmother can put her pension plan into uh, early stage unicorn that was probably going to blow up, but one in a thousand chance it does a thousand X. So everybody can play the venture capital game. So that, that was the kind of idea. It was all this excitement. People that couldn't raise money from legit venture capitals, they were super pumped by the ICO bubble because their failed startup now had like FOMO boosters on it because of ICOs and crypto. And billions of dollars got raised in the ICO bubble. So, you know, obviously that blew up when um, multiple things happened there. It was actually the affiliate marketing was driving most of that cycle on Facebook, Instagram, um, Google and Twitter, and they all decided all at once in January 2018 to ban cryptocurrency ICO ads. Remember and as that. soon as as soon as they banned cryptocurrency ICO ads, all these like Ty Lopez, James Altucher, charlatans that were making tons of money off of promoting ICOs, being unregulated promoter broker dealers, they just stopped, and that stopped bringing in new suckers into the bottom of the pyramid. And when the new money stopped coming in, the whole thing fell apart. And all these dreams of disrupting venture capital and the, the Shillacoin Valley guys with their crazy MV equals P PQ ratios and fat protocol theses and all this crazy nonsense that they used to, to value these stupid ideas, it, it kind of over two years totally went away. And people completely disconnected from this space. People that had come in and developed these massive followings and huge funds, they went back to being life coaches and Instagram models and, you know, whatever they were doing before, experts they became no crypto more. experts. So, like, you get to, like, January 2019, we're a year and a half into this brutal bear market. Bitcoin, obviously, is getting hit as well. And everybody kind of starts to understand, for the most part, that that was all crazy. It was all a bubble. And there's... You know, the SEC had come out multiple statements. They've taken action against multiple companies saying this is an illegal security offering. You're not in compliance. They canceled the Telegram ICO, which is one of the biggest ICOs of that cycle. It was two billion dollars that Telegram had raised to do the, the ton coin. I remember and there that. was this, you know, they they had gotten shut down by the SEC. But you, you, com you combine that with like, you know, we all learned all these lessons the utility coins were useless. It was You had no legal rights as a token holder to the treasury of the company. You couldn't claw back. You couldn't do anything except for trying to like sue these companies. But, but we learned the lessons. 
COVID happens, you know, the, the Fed comes in, the Fed steps in and starts pumping up uh, trillions into the, into the market and keeping, liquid, keeping the interest rates low. It obviously drives people out onto the risk curve and everything starts to go crazy. People buying Pokemon cards, shoes, anything you can imagine starts to go up in value because everybody's like realizing that <laughs> all this liquidity and low interest rates is causing everything to inflate. So there was actually some things that had gotten built in this DeFi in this DeFi space that was kind of useful technology. There was something called Uniswap, which actually allowed you just using your private wallet without registering on an exchange to swap one crypto asset for another crypto asset on Ethereum. And they invented a repo, essentially. It wasn't a repo because it was it was actually just a swap. It wasn't a a, a, a forward purchase contract. It was actually just like swap. So, okay, so but, but, so but it was an exchange. Duration? Like, was there a duration element? No duration. No, 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 no duration. Oh, it, I see. You just swap it for the hell of it. It's just like a an exchange where you can put up. Um, it's bilateral. It's like bilateral exchange, right? It's it's more like that. So, right, so the way it works is it, it clears in what way? It clears through the like. So today I, mean, I log in and I can get like two lunas for my uh whatever bloody two, two lunas so, won't even buy you an at and collection <laughs> right but then the next day the valuation like the the ratio changes so, so, I'll, so I'll, I'll tell you how it actually works um briefly so it, it's automated mar automated market making is the way that this technology was branded and it used this technology called a bonding curve which was just a kind of thing that these ethereum people made up but you like say say you had um, one Ethereum and one hundred dollars of stable coins, and you wanted to be a market maker and provide liquidity and earn fees on people swapping in that pool of money. So you would put up your one one Ethereum and one hundred dollars because at the time Ethereum was a hundred dollars. You know, if you had ten Ethereum and a thousand dollars, whatever, you'd put up this pool, and the and the protocol using smart contracts would say automate the swapping between these two assets. So anybody that came in and decided they wanted to buy $100 worth of Ethereum through Uniswap smart contract protocol, they could do that. And there's no centralized authority there having anything to do with, with this protocol executing on the Ethereum blockchain. So you make fees based on the swapping volume. So it really is just like decentralizing the idea of market making and allowing people to take on the risk of whether they want to earn the fees or get wrecked providing liquidity in these risky DeFi markets. That was that was what it was. And that was actually a, a very interesting piece of technology, but nobody gave a shit about it. In 2019, in 2020, early 2020, the only people that were using this were DeFi developers um, the venture capitalists that were seeding it all and some like really, uh, really early hobbyist kind of like scammers that were there trying to like steal people's money and stuff like yep, that. Yep. They were trying to exploit the, the contract and do this flash loan stuff where you could take advantage of Oracle prices and all this. Anyways, it was, it was super un, un, um, adopted. There was, there was a couple of Ponzi schemes that were using it. And all these smart contract devs and stuff like that, but the average like person did not see any need to go and use this thing because it was cumbersome to use. The user experience is horrible. There's there's high slippage. There's high fees. 
you might as well just use an exchange. So, so this is all born out of a uh, want to bypass the exchanges. Exactly. Because they all realized that they were doing well. Partly it was because they realized that they were violating securities laws and they wanted to kind of disrupt the regulators. And partly it was like actually people from the traditional finance industry wanting to rebuild everything that they had done in the traditional system on a blockchain. Without regulation. So there was, with no regulation. Yeah. yeah. So in a way, at the very beginning of DeFi, there was some cypherpunks. There was some altruistic devs in there that they were trying to just experiment and build some useful things. And actually, Uniswap is a fork of something that came before it called Bancor. And Bancor created the really? AMM. Yeah. Yeah. It was I actually. Realize, I didn't realize that Uniswap. Uh, Bancor was an ICO, Isabel. It was. And that's the thing. Like. Hayden Adams, the creator of Uniswap, was pissed off that he was like an altruistic kind of cypherpunk dev at the beginning. And he was pissed off that Bancor took advantage of the of the ICO bubble to raise money for this technology. And he's like, I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to fork Bancor, remove the stupid shit coin and deploy it myself as Uniswap. And so he did that. And he was like, "Ah, I'm going to protest against this like charlatan. Uh, capitalist sort of like unnecessary bolt on token stuff because there's no need for a token for this technology. Well, fast forward a year and a half, Uniswap became the number one DEX on Ethereum. And what did they do? They pumped the token onto it because they could make $100 million each <laughs> by adding a token. So he, he, he co- totally gave up on all of his morals and his uh, and his original well, intent. Well, Brad, wouldn't, wouldn't you for $100 million? <laughs> I mean... Why wouldn't you, know you right? They say, if- power corrupts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But a hundred million dollars corrupts absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. What's your so corruption you- threshold? Me? Me? Yeah, both of you. Josh. Go on, both of you. Forty or fifty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say a good a good JPEG. A good JPEG, a good, a good JPEG <laughs> of a monkey. Nice. <laughs> Show me a monkey JPEG anytime and I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever you want. Okay, great. Um, okay, so, so, that's, so I, that's a good background. Okay, so now we're in the world of like post-COVID, loads of liquidity sloshing around. These altruistic guys have well, I'll been, tell you actually, sent money in the mail to us all. Even, yeah. before, even before then, so Uniswap was the one primitive that was kind of an interesting thing that allowed you to go in and just use your MetaMask wallet or your Ethereum wallet to just swap one shitcoin for another shitcoin and earn fees as a market maker. That was kind of fine. Like that was like, all right, well, that's not scammy or anything like that. Sure. There's Ponzi schemes using it like hex protocol and all that stuff. were the number one volume coins, but whatever, like that's fine. There's nobody taking advantage of anybody really in that, in that ecosystem. And, um, it's not like they're trying to sell this as like a competitive thing to Bitcoin. They're not trying to say use Uniswap and make more money than, you know, buying Bitcoin or whatever. There was no like, there was a clear delineation between the separation of what Bitcoin is and what all this other garbage is because it was nobody gave a crap about it. It was only quants using it and stuff, flash flown exploits and all this stuff. So then they had to, so what they decided to do then was create a stable coin, make or die. That's another core piece of this whole story. Make, maker maker dai maker dao actually is what it's called but there's the maker coin which is the yeah. governance protocol the governance coin and the die token which is supposed to be a stable coin 
It's a synthetic okay. stable coin. And, and so, Dai, Dai is the first stable coin really to fail, by the way. I mean, there's been plenty of failures over the years, but like Dai is kind of the first big one, I think, uh, at least when, as, as I remember, all of these stable coins. It's the first one that had like a lot of adoption. Well, Dai was basically like you, you get the maker, um, or sorry, you, you over collateralize a vault, they call it, with Ethereum or wrapped Bitcoin or whatever asset that has some value. At the beginning, they started with 3x over collateralization with Ethereum. So for every $100 worth of DAI coins you wanted to create from nothing, you'd have to lock up $300 worth of Ethereum. So they created that pretty much when Ethereum was pretty high price, like a thousand bucks. So they, they had gotten all these people to like lock up their Ethereum at a thousand dollars to create DAI coins. But then during the bear market, as the price of Ethereum dropped from 1400 down to like $80 and flash crashed even lower on March, 2020, all these people in DAI, they had created billions of dollars of DAI tokens they were at risk of being complete, completely broke. The protocol completely broke because even at, even at like 4X, 5X over collateralization, it's still not enough because the asset is so volatile. So the venture capitalists that, that funded DAI and that were in control of the whole thing, A16Z and those guys, they basically just plopped in a bunch of dollars into the system. They said, all right, well, we're going to put 50% of the value of it as USDC, which is just somebody else's dollars in somebody else's bank account. So- the idea for creating Maker Die was kind of an interesting idea to create a censorship-resistant, algorithmic, pegged stablecoin that you could use in a crypto-native network, and that's kind of an interesting concept. Just like the ability to do an AMM and swap without any without any uh, regulations, to have a native dollar-pegged token that doesn't have the risk of a bank coming in and freezing the assets or whatever. <laughs> but now the whole thing is freaking 50, more than 50% collateralized by dollars in some bank account that's regulated in the US. So at any point, they could 6102 attack Circle's bank accounts and freeze up the entire DAI ecosystem. So since March of 2020, DAI has been a failure pretty much from what they created it for. And it's just been LARPing as a zombie coin for the last like, it, it's, two years. It's essentially a pegged coin to USDC, right? LARPing as a zombie coin. I it like it is though. It is. It's pretty much like a market make uh, a money market fund. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's no different. And like, I it's, mean, it, but it's, it's no different than like tether either. Money, money, money. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. But these, uh, so that that's really the first like sort of failed coin, and they they successfully uh, didn't destroy the value. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that that's right. Not what they kept one the, of these does. they kept the dollar peg, and they've actually grown still because most participants in DeFi are just degenerate gamblers looking for yield. They're not actually giving a shit about the cypherpunk values of why this stuff was created. They're mm -hmm. actually just there to earn yield. So they don't care that the the, the thesis behind the die stablecoin like. Uh, censorship resistance part is completely invalidated because it's backed by USDC. They just are like, well, I can make a bunch of yield with it, so I'm going to use and, it. And it's and it's a dollar. It's a dollar stable coin, right? Yeah. And it, it seems to like kind of work as a pegged coin. So so those really, are the yeah. Sorry, go the, on, Brad. So, so those two there's there's so now you got Uniswap was the way to exchange without any intermediaries and any regulation. Now you've got a dollar pegged asset that's also native in the system that you can put up as a collateral pair in Uniswap. So you can 
if you're worried about the regulators coming in and shutting down your scam because you have dollars, you don't have to worry about that anymore, technically, in this system, because you can use Die, which was supposed to be resistant to scammers. I mean, to uh, to uh, scam stopping. Mm -hmm. So you got a, a regulation resistant coin, a regulation resistant uh, swapping mechanism. And then the last sort of one of the last pieces that they needed to build was this thing called Curve, which was a, a dip, it's it, which is kind of like the repo market. Curve is kind of like the decentralized repo market because it's not it's not a spot sale and a forward contract purchase agreement or anything like that, but it is a deep pool of liquidity between multiple different assets, kind of like how you have the um, HQLA in the traditional financial system. You have level one assets like MBS and treasuries. You have level two A assets, which could be like corporate bonds. You have level two B assets, which are like bank stocks or whatever, and they all have liquidity discount percentages. Well, and there, and that's the deepest, most liquid markets in the traditional financial world is these repo markets. And mm -hmm. so they built that on DeFi with this curve thing. So, and it's, it, again, it's all funded by these whales and tier one crypto funds where they, they create baskets. So there's uh -huh. like a tier one basket where they put uh -huh. in like the, the stable coins because the stable coins are supposed to act like HQLA level one stuff. It's like always a dollar. It's extremely liquid. It's always a dollar. So they fill it up with all these different stable coins. Like this basket has Tether, USDC, DAI, and uh -huh. UST, UST coin, which was the Terra Luna coin. So this is okay. where the thing starts to become a house of cards. When they start taking things like USDT and USDC, yeah. which are backed one-to-one -one by bank, by dollars or treasuries and circles accounts or Tether's mm -hmm. accounts, and they start mixing it in with these synthetic stable coins that have actually no value. <laughs> yeah. And they, they try to create, it's like, it's like in the repo market when some bank tries to swap uh, insolvent bank stock for le level one assets, treasuries. Yeah. You know, if, that kind of is the same mechanic because they can do it based on the rules. We don't know how much of that's going on, but they built that on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so at the beginning, it was fine because now you've got all, these you've got all these different tools where all the this is now attracting all these people from Wall Street and traditional markets to come say, I can go deploy my quant algorithms here and just milk retail and play this quant game of like flash loan exploiting everything and making just What's flash that, remind me what a flash loan is? It's basically an exploit of DeFi where you can front run somebody else's transaction, kind of like purchase for order flow, like between Citadel oh. and Robinhood, except it, multiplied it, by a thousand. And, it's and order, flow is, order flow is free. See, so see it's Isabella, like a, here's it's like a look in. Well, well, Isabella, the thing with blockchains is very simple. Everything on a blockchain is public. So if you're going to buy anything in one of these decentralized order books, everybody can see it. So you have no, all of your, no, yeah. All of your orders are able to be seen. So this makes it valuable to front run all orders for the two people uh, that understand this. Number one would be the financiers. Number two are the miners, right? Because the miners can see all the orders, so I, in Ethereum, how can they? So, so basically, they see the order and then they do a flash run, like they pay someone to get ahead of the order book. They don't need to pay anyone. They pay the they pay the miners. The miners. So yeah. the miners. Ah, so, oh so my god! As a miner, as a miner, it's co essentially costless. So you can you can you have to pay a higher fee than someone to get in front, or you can just not 
uh, do their transactions. So if you were mining, if you were mining Ethereum for yeah, the yeah. last like uh, <laughs> your two years, you're getting what's called MEV, which is minor extracted value, which yeah. is the act of jumping in front of all of these transactions and and earning That's a little That's insane! Oh my god! It's the, it's the equivalent. It's the equivalent of when the the um, the the free, high frequency trading. Yeah, um, I was gonna firms. say it's Flash Boys stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's, 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 it's actually dumber. It's dumber than Flash Boys because Flash Boys was working on milliseconds, but the Ethereum blockchain gives us twelve seconds to front run all the trades. Well, but this what's interesting to me is that obviously with conventional HFT, it's the co-location at the server farm or whatever the um, exchange, wherever the exchange is based. That that was how you would get ahead right because your computers were closer than whoever um you were front running but well sorry getting ahead of um the um but here there is no like server that you can like co-locate next to because it's decentralized so well that, you that, can that's do- not that's not entirely true but, oh, right. but it's it, it, but the so, servers are effectively the miners. The miners. Yes. Yeah. So here, here's that's, the thing. That's the, that's the analog. The analogy is is the miner is the like who is the, the most difference. The yeah. difference, Isabella, is this democratizes the competency necessary to do flash boys because if you wanted to if you wanted to extract value from Ethereum trades, yeah. all you had to do was turn on a computer, get like a graphics card, boot up a mining software, yeah, and then join a mining pool. And they yeah. did all the work for you. So mining pools were actually doing all the work of extracting minor extracted value on behalf of their uh, their pool. And they were competing for a long time on basically advertising that they were better at it than the other pools. So you could switch pools very Switching pools takes two seconds if you're a miner. So you don't have to have any competency in this. All you have to do is point your miners at a pool that does MEV. Mm-hmm. So and- I could be, I, I, I've been a flash boy for months. <laughs> <laughs> and what and another another even worse like more this, more m- another more um insidious part of this whole thing is that like during this entire nonsense bubble that that was getting started with ethereum defi stuff all the vcs and all the ethereum maximalists and ethereum shills were all saying this is the this is for the people this is like better than bitcoin cuz it's cheaper to use and you can do decentralized finance. It's going to unbank the banked and bank the unbanked and all this stuff. It's, and meanwhile, really, it's just this like reverse Robin Hood scenario where like you're, <laughs> you're trying to get yourself through to your destination. And then all these like evil Robin Hood characters are like picking your pockets through the whole, the whole trip and like shutting, stopping your caravan and taking your goods from you. Because if you try to use Uniswap, you're going to get flash loan exploited. If you're a retail person, you can't you can't afford to use it because all the quants are taking up all the block space, and the transaction fees to use Ethereum rose so much that it got to like fifty dollars a swap to like send some some stable coins to somebody. So that narrative completely broke down in like summer 2020 when uh, when the first DeFi bubble kind of went nuts, because in summer 2020 they they did the final piece. The, the final piece which caused the bubble, which was the borrow lend protocol. So now they created these protocols where you could deposit any collateral, including ICO shitcoin, pre-mined security things, and borrow level one assets like stable coins. And so they that attracted a lot of people that had all this garbage junk to be able to deposit it into these lending protocols and take stable coins out. And then earn a yield. The yield farming thing was... This is basically what the ECB does, by the way. 
there was a Is great it? <laughs> there was a great uh, piece uh, from 2008 where 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 um, I think it was Willem Bouter or something like essentially exposed that the ECB was a, a a bank that took trashy assets and lent out you know liquidity against them. This is essentially the mm. same, same model um, uh, as we now know from the ECB meeting. They're now defragmenting or rather anti-fragmenting um, with their own. Um, well, they're trying to detrash it, but it's it's a bit hard to detrash it. But anyway, go. sorry about that. So, um, so what, go on. Yep. The, the yield farming thing is really what caused this thing to go into into hyperdrive because as yeah. I said like nobody else in the crypto world gave a shit about this DeFi stuff because it was too obscure it was an unfriendly user interface yeah. unless you were some really intelligent quant dev that could like exploit everybody they're like what's the point of using it but then yeah, they added, at that time you wouldn't have been exploiting very many people either that's the other you're thing. just like you're just, on the exploitation uh, side once your order is in the order book. You can't reverse it, or can you still no, you reverse it? No, no, you can't reverse it. Isabel, think about it this way. Miners order transactions. That's all yeah. they do. So when you're a miner, you look at the transaction book, and you can pick whatever transactions in any given book you want to you wanna do, you, including, for example, your own transactions, right? Mm. So because if, if you win the block, the, the thing that you ought to do is basically mine your own transactions and yes. reorder the book such that, like, you are ahead of people in in the book. It's a very simple like you have you have not milliseconds. You have the full time of finding that block to look at the book and 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 implement uh, any changes that you this want. This is so much worse than traditional finance. It's so much. It's worse. so much worse. <laughs> it's so much worse. Like that's why for two, for two years now I've been just harping on this. Like they're just rebuilding everything that's wrong with Wall Street on a blockchain. It's the without it's regulation. The, yeah, it's the stupidest thing that we've ever done. And now it's all blowing up. And who could have predicted it? Gee, all the Bitcoiners, perhaps. <laughs> Anybody that understood the follies of like the, the financial system and why we, we shouldn't rebuild all of that transparently on a blockchain system, you know, and make it 10 times worse. And is and there any such thing as a dark pool in this game? Yes, there's there's dark pool protocols. There's LIBOR markets. Like un, un, That's the most insane thing is when you see uncollateralized lending like like interbank lending libor stuff in defi that's oh why it's that's why it's blowing up even more right now because they started to do that they got kind of hubristic and they thought like we were so successful we're so smart look what we've done so they started saying let's do uncollateralized lending like the financial system and so there's this protocol called maple finance right now which has five big pools in it that allows <laughs> high credit collateral uncollateralized lending and the, they have like credit experts and risk ex experts in this protocol basically trying to be like the credit agencies and i went through the tweets of these credit experts and they're promote like three four months ago they're talking about how long they are on terra luna and how they love ponzi schemes like anybody that knows anything about sustainability you see something that says you can get seventy thousand percent apy and you immediately laugh at that and say that's ridiculous you're a moron if you think that's not a ponzi scheme these credit risk agencies in DeFi were rating that shit as as pristine they were like go they were going long on it themselves so you got to wonder how much toxic debt is in these unsecured lending pools and now that Three Arrows Capital, which is one of the biggest market makers in DeFi, is blowing up, is completely insolvent. 
I mean, they are exposed to all that. Like, there's so much unsecured lending going back and forth between these tier one crypto funds that it's just not even started yet. Like, the whole thing's going to implode. So let's unpack the Celsius story. So from a mechanic and the whole staking thing. Um, so so Celsius is 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 how would you what is what is okay? We're almost there. We're almost there. I got that one last piece oh, wait, to explain sorry, go, go. The, the yield farming. That is the key piece that causes this whole story to go. So. Uh-huh. Yield farming, like John Seth said at the very beginning, the original ICO stuff, we realized in the bear market that it was all toxic trash. It was all nonsense. It was just a dream. But then when some the- of us realized in the, the bull market, that's <laughs> yeah. <fact. laughs> but then, but then, you know, like when the, when, the, when the markets hit the, hit the fan and the Fed prints $10 trillion, you know, the Fed, the treasury, the, the, uh, the commercial banks, when, when they all inflate the supply of money and keep the interest rates low, Everything goes crazy. And then everybody goes out onto this risk cliff saying, well, if we're going to make money. And it the is Fed a risk is, cliff. That's what I call it. Like, there's no it's risk, a risk in cliff. crypto. It's that's a risk it. cliff. It's it. a risk I cliff. It. I love that. I love it. I love Brad. How far, out on, the, how far out on the risk cliff are you? <laughs> They're all out on the risk cliff right now. Wiley, like Wiley, Wiley, Coyote. Wiley Coyotes as far as you Just can Don't go. look down. <laughs> don't look down. Everything will be fine. Hey, hang on right there. This is crypto. This is a financial <laughs> innovation here. Don't this look down. Great. This is great. Okay. They're on the risk cliff. I like that. So they're going out on the risk cliff because the regulators have sent a message that we are overwhelmed. We cannot stop this. You guys are kind of in in violation of the law, but <laughs> we're too overwhelmed. The, the, the traditional markets are about to blow up. They, you, you look at what happened with Citadel and Robinhood and all this stuff and you know, the, the meme stock pumps and insolvent companies like Hertz getting pumped on the stock market. Like it's clear that they weren't in the driver's seat. So everybody and, and the biggest ICO of 2017 EOS raised $4 billion. And the resolution to that was to get hit with like a $20 million fine and allow them to keep the rest of the money. It's I mean, just, that's it's just, just, it's just a tax. It's yeah, it's like okay, I'll I'll do that too then. With, with agreements, with agreements to absolve everyone in all of these cases, to absolve everyone of criminal liability, by the way. So they'd raise 20 billion, they would go to the SEC, the SEC would charge them like 20 million and give them an agreement to be absolved of all future criminal liability on this. Well, not like there was future, a couple like all criminal there was liability. a couple a couple of cases where they didn't play ball with the SEC and they tried to fight back and say, we're going to fight back for crypto. Like everybody join just, us. Just fucking pay. They should have just, just paid pay. because it's those cases, test. the, 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 the SEC dash IRS is coming your way, pay it and then the and walk away with your $19 billion. Like, <laughs> is that not enough? Really? Yeah, really. Mental. So, so the, so the SEC did take action against probably 10, 15 ICOs, but like the the majority of the ICO activity happened after the crash. So in January, 2018, that was the peak of the last bubble. And then it was a tsunami of deals that kept happening for another six months before everybody realized at about this point that, wait a second, this was a bubble. It blew up. We were, we were idiots. And And they started to just desperately look for liquidity. All the deal flow stopped in about Jan- June of 2018, and we're pretty much mim- mimicking the timeline nearly exactly four years later. So I'd expect in a couple of months, it's just going to be a ghost town in all these deals. 
And everybody's going to be trying to find as much liquidity as they possibly can because they realize this was a fun game, but it blew up and you got to count your chickens now. Like you don't want to be the last person holding the bag in this bubble. You want to actually take your money out and take your profits, but it's too, it's too big now. Um, the last cycle never got this big and the sec put a huge damper on things. Uh huh. So, but this cycle, I think it's worth pointing out. I think the difference this time around, there's a hell of a lot more hedge funds in this now. That's what it is. So so you go, you get to like the guidance from the SEC was like, this is not in consensus. I mean, this is not compliant. You're violating the law, but we're overwhelmed because in January, um, March, April, 2020, they were still only at about September 2017 for the cases they were bringing against the previous cycles, bad actors. So they're a whole cycle behind and taking legislative action or taking taking action against these companies. Which means you just got to wait four or five cycles and then you won't get hit for a lifetime, maybe two <laughs> lifetimes before they like get to your case. Literally that packed up. So that, that, I mean, that pretty and, much. And, and, and Brad, they, they've only got to, I don't know, 5% of the scams from the ICO cycle. Well, they pretty much gave up on it because this cycle got so crazy. So, in you know, after the Black Thursday or whatever, when when the markets crashed and the SEC, I mean, and the and the Fed and the Treasury started kind of signaling infinite cash, infinite liquidity, and all this, it reinflated the idea that you could just go ham on this DeFi stuff because they created this concept of liquidity farming, which is basically like John Seth said. ICOs 2.0. Instead of you give me money, I give you coins. It's you give this smart contract that I built money, and the smart contract that I built gives you the coins. But I'm and not giving I'm, you the and coins. And that I'm in and that I'm in control of still. And that I'm in control of. Yeah, <laughs> I built it. I'm in control of it. I pre-mined all the coins, but I'm not giving you the coins. <laughs> and by pre-mined, I mean I put money in too, and it also gave me the coins back. Well, they didn't even put money in. They just, yeah, they just like so that is like so. Just for our traditional uh, finance um, viewers, readers, listeners, whatever. Um, so, yield farming is specific in the sense that it is. So, give me some names of 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 like yield farming products that people might have heard of. So the first, the first one was Curve. It was called uh, Curve Yearn. It was these these lending protocols. And there really is no other parallel in traditional finance. It does not make any sense. You stake stake something and then you get... Imagine this. Imagine you were a hedge fund and... (laughs) Imagine you were a hedge fund. Imagine. And and you wanted to um, go to the repo markets and borrow a billion dollars of treasuries. Mm-hmm. Well, in the repo market, you have to pay a small overnight fee for that, right? You pay whatever the rate is, like 0.5, 0. 0.05% or whatever the rate is of the repo market. So there's an economic calculation there that you make as a capitalist that like I have to pay to borrow a billion dollars of this treasury collateral. In DeFi, you go to the repo market and you get paid $10 million to borrow a billion dollars. That's what yield farming is. You get paid to borrow as much as you possibly can and 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 like you get paid for volume. So if you want to wash trade, you get paid. If you want to be a in the reverse repo market, you also get paid. So if you're a commercial bank and you've got base assets at the Federal Reserve, anybody uh, making money out here? <laughs> if you're so, 
So the reverse repo participants also get paid $10 million for providing capital. Mm-hmm. So both participants get paid. Does that, At the same doesn't, time. It's, that's financial innovation, right? Like why wouldn't why wouldn't this payment? So the oh, don't ask questions like that. That that's a that's a boomer question. You just don't understand financial innovation. Yeah, Isabella, you okay, don't get crypto. Funding? I'll be the boomer in the room. Who's funding it? It's the just smart contract. Crazy. The smart contract. The, 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 the smart contract prints money. The smart it's contract prints. Surely these smart contracts. Like I thought. The um, you know, there was some sort of scarcity pr- principle in these smart, like in in these things. But you're saying mm. that just like, is well, there? Well, I watch of- I watch a lot of Real Vision and Ralph Paul and those guys tell me that it's basically risk free. So, no, I well, mean, that, Brad, the, the smart totally contract, wrong. the smart contract is printing money. Right? <laughs> yeah, tokens. it's stupid. Yeah, it doesn't make There's, any sense. But is it on so, some sort of schedule? Is there some sort of like Isabella? Every- Isabella, it doesn't matter. They can make up whatever rules they want for the smart contract. So, so here's like, the thing: so now, there is no so limiting. Is, there is, is a limiting principle in this Eighteen percent return. Product. Yeah. So, so here's how it makes sense. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense, but here's how it was able to survive so long. So you had this bubble of 2020 where all these like early crypto degen trader guys that were not paying attention to DeFi before this, the, the, the hedge funds or the crypto trading, uh, you know, million follower accounts and all this stuff, the guys that were super active for the forever in trading cryptocurrencies on exchanges, they didn't care about DeFi because it was like, it's too cumbersome. I don't understand it. But the minute you start getting paid to trade and borrow and lend, you're going to put your money in there because it's like free money, right? So it started sucking in all these DGENs and all the the crypto uh, exchanges and everybody that was doing market making to start providing liquidity. Because if you can get paid to provide liquidity, of course, you're going to do it. Like imagine you got paid to use your BlackBerry. I mean, I'm sure BlackBerry would still be a pretty big company. If you got paid to use an inferior product, you'd probably use it a significant amount of money. Like a Microsoft phone. <laughs> yeah, Microsoft phone. I'd still be using my old Nokia if I was getting paid like a thousand bucks a month to use. This I use a thing. I use a razor. <laughs> it doesn't look like it, man. Basically, there are all these liquidity pools. Those pools, we don't know how they're funded. Like they're not funded. Are they funded in real money or are so they? So I'll funded- tell you, it was, it was not that you get paid ten million dollars. You get paid ten million shares of some insolvent bank. Right, and right. then. The banks are putting up their money as temporary collateral to allow you to sell the insolvent bank shares for dollars. So it appears like it's worth something. Right. So the, the the hedge funds, the market makers, and the venture capitalists that pre-mined it all, they would use gi- their giant pools of capital as honeypots for retail traders. So when there's a yield farm happening, they go and they pair the stupid token that they're re- issuing for you with some actual money on Uniswap and create a market for it. So they would take their f- their coin that they created from nothing and give to you for a, a reward for using the protocols and pair it up with some dollars and some, you know, 10, 20 million dollar deep liquidity pool. So you start saying like, wait, this is actually worth something. Oh, well, now I can calculate this out as an as an APY. Wow, for using this DeFi protocol, I'm making 50% APY. I'm going to go tell all my crypto buddies about this and I'm going to put my money in. And so it's a honeypot. It really is false advertising to create this phantom value that this stupid coin is ever worth something in the first place. So they go and they create, the, they use the DeFi primitives like Curve and Uniswap and 
borrow and then they and then they start taking this thing and they make you even feel like it's even more valuable by letting you put it up as collateral in the borrow protocols so then you can instead of selling it instead of selling your stupid useless reward token that you got paid to use this thing for you can borrow against it so then you stack it in you know and then it removes sell pressure so you can borrow against it borrow some stable coins and then go and do more defi stuff and start stacking your yields on top of each other and just keep borrowing from the and, reward tokens and this is what causes the ltcm like effect because what's gone on here is that all of these uh, all of the defi projects are essentially collateralized like stacked collateralization of yeah. other ponzi's it's it's as if madoff got in bed with 100 other people yeah. Created a hundred Ponzi's, and then and you, got and, and, then, and then got banks to do like like, uh, like equity loans against your Ponzi tokens, and then oh when my. one went under, all of the other Ponzi tokens went under too. <laughs> it, it is a lot like Madoff, eh? It's it's quite it's quite a bit of uh, similarities because well, Madoff was yeah, Madoff um, also was you know he was a exchange guy like that's his heritage. He came from the world of exchanges. Like Pre you know, was he president and, and, of the NYSE or whatever? Uh, yeah, the Nasdaq. I think it was the Nasdaq. Right. So, so you get this boom in 2020 where all these like you know 10,000 crypto traders, which is not anything compared to the users of Bitcoin. It's just the the degens on Twitter and like you know the the circle, the incestuous pump and dump circle of crypto VCs, traders, devs, like you know pumping each other's bags. Mm -hmm. Well, you get you get those guys, but then. You got this insidious relationship between the venture capital firms like A16Z and Coinbase. They create liquidity by taking these stupid pre-mined useless trash DeFi coins, yeah. putting up honeypot liquidity pools in DeFi to create froth, and then putting them on Coinbase and advertising it to retail who are too dumb yeah. to use DeFi or shouldn't be using DeFi or just don't want to take the time to learn how to use MetaMask wallets and stuff. They put it up so it's easily available to be purchased on Coinbase and as then a coin. they, as a coin that they can trade. And that's where they get their liquidity and they start dumping it. But this is classic um, kind of risk recycling that the ba the banks conventionally did. So, you know, you, you would have that sort of, you know, the banks use structured products to lure in the, right. uh, the retail in the side. You know, and let's you know, you remember Paulson as well. You know, he created this uh, complex derivative structure to help short uh, subprime, and then um, the someone else had to take the other side of the trade, right? So that would be the retail or the institutional side. Um, you always have to have a sucker side to fund the madness, right? So, so, so what? So essentially, Coinbase was facilitating potentially facilitating the um, pathway to real money from the because the retail in this equation is where the real dollars come in is that is that fair to say in 2020 it was like that was the kind of insidious thing that was happening it was that coinbase has a venture arm coinbase mm. goes with a16z invests in these stupid DeFi pre-mines they actually yeah. create the they create the all of it. They create the supply of DeFi protocol coins. They pre-mine mm -hmm. it through their venture arm and with A16Z. Then they go and they provide the liquidity in the DeFi pool and basically like wash trade and you know create this market where it's like, oh, this is a, a profitable venture. I should do it. Then they go and they put it on the retail exchange. And so they were involved in the whole thing. And it's not just Coinbase, it's all the crypto exchanges and crypto funds doing the same type of thing. Um it, so that was happening in 2020. 
And it was really nonsense. It, it didn't attract much retail people because it was a lot of like obvious Ponzi scams. It was people having a lot of fun with like food tokens. It was like, this one is yams and this one is like kimchi. And it was like the stupidest kind of like nonsense bubble because it was all, f- yeah, pancakes. It was, it was like, it was nonsense, but it got up to billions and billions of dollars. And then what happened was the one of the uh, biggest exchanges in terms of real money, like how, what I'm trying to real understand money. or unpick is, because obviously there's a there's a some sort of um, multiple going on, right? And but what is the seed value in the system? Like when it all unravels, like how much base capital? Like what's the what's in the 2020? Money? It was billions. Um, now it's hundreds of billions. Of it the was. base capital, like yes. as in how much? Oh my god! Yeah. Really? Because A16Z raised probably 500 billion dollars in the last two years to pump into this shit like a16z and other funds it was insane it was it was it was nuts oh wait sorry i'm, I'm saying uh i'm too too high of a number they 200 million i think was there let me just check yeah better check before we get a a, a libel suit <laughs> It was not five hundred billion. No, it wasn't that. You can't, high. You can't I think say it was... anything in the UK. How do you guys do reporting? Yeah, it was billions, two <laughs> well, billions. We do, we do something called fact checking, Josh. Yeah, it was like no, 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 it. no. You don't because you, you, you can get sued for facts in the UK too. Look at Amber Heard. <laughs> what? It was two to five. A sixteen Z raised about two to five billion dollars between their different crypto funds, but there was there was many other players besides them that were doing this in uh, in Asia and you know different circles of crypto. Like the the one big there's can two I, big can players. Can with one point? What I've yeah. noticed in the last week or so, I've been it's summer party season. I went to a, a posh summer party stick sh- sh- whatever at um, at an art thing yesterday. And this is often very telling, right? You know, because art is, you know, always hedgies are always in art affairs, events, etc. Because that's what they do. They make money and then they buy buy art. Um, And there's a lot of crypto people. There's a lot of crypto art. There's, you know, it's gone. It's quite clear to me that that is the new wealth cap, like wealth mm-hmm. pool that goes. So it's a massive recycling in, in funny in a funny way. So the money from hedge funds, from yield farming and all that stuff going into the art market, which is now going into NFTs. And it's, <laughs> it's going to be well, entirely circular. It's uh, right, a side. Go on. Yeah, it's a marketing funnel. The NFTs was basically a marketing funnel for DeFi and Ethereum. And a lot of whales in that system, DeFi and Ethereum, they manipulated the prices in the early days of NFTs to spend obscene amounts of money on NFTs so that they could create huge headlines and then attract like Christie's and things like that. 100%. Those valuations were not done through any market mechanism. They were pre-organized and they were a form of marketing, marketing spend. That's basically what it was. Yeah, they're trying to legitimize what they're doing with all this nonsense by saying, oh, but look, artists can get paid and you can, this is a thing for we can use this for money to disintermediate those predatory middlemen in, tried, in the art world i did my best to warn isabel i i said from day one i told everyone what this stuff was <laughs> no i agree and i mean what i i find nfts interesting in that because i'm quite arty so i like the idea of art having value but i've always said there's no value in it because 
the law is not caught. Like there's there's a mismatch between what the NFTs are the, claiming. The law the law doesn't matter on this because but it's even, not even if it did. Not, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's it's more an attention market than it no, is a but, asset. But, Okay. But my point is the law the law doesn't matter because it's not the art itself. Like the no. problem is that art is the art itself. There's only one kind of art in NFTs that is the art itself, and that's the rare Pepe. And that's why that's okay. why. Right. Because that was that was commentary. It's the only time that a hash has ever been turned into art. All the other hashes that came after it were scammy. And and it's just really funny to me to look at because like this is literally a receipt. That's all you got with the <laughs> NFTs. And it's just and, and Brad's right. It was a marketing funnel into the rest of DeFi and they preyed on artists. That was. Hmm. The- I think that's actually very true. And I think there's going to be a lot of collateral damage in the. In the I, uh, I, in I the tried to warn the artists. I was I was telling yeah. them they don't know what they're doing and they're going, well, I'm making a lot of money. And I'm like, well, that's too bad. I guess you weren't in it for the art then. Too bad. No, but they were. <laughs> they were they were making a lot of money. And I mean, who made who, who made the most? Probably like the Damien Hurst team. They always make the most. Did Hearst, they? They, Wait, made did a, they, do they, made a, they made a ton. Yes. Hearst has a bunch of NFTs, at least one, but he made a lot of money on it. The Hearst team made a lot of money on NFTs. And that was the thing. Like even the economist had an NFT. Yeah. It's really, Time magazine. It's really yeah. Time magazine had an NFT series last summer and they had to ban 8,000 people from their discord channel for being racist. Oh yeah. But, but let me, let me, let me point out with like the economist uh, also allowed OneCoin to sponsor their conference. So like they don't That's have a great name. record here. Yeah. Um, I had an NFT, but nobody bought it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it just for like shits and giggles, as they say. And what I found is that it is, I mean, it's obvious that like, unless you have either a pre, pre-arranged like funder or you have um, the means to market it in some ridiculous way, um you're not gonna it's not a mechanism to make any money like it's just you know it's just silly anyway it's an insider's game we're gonna get to the celsius story yes so so now we understand that there was this yield right and and the only reason why the yield made any sense it was actually just issuing shit coins and then creating a market for the shit coins so that you could multiply the price of the shit coin by the dollar value that you could get in uniswap and then calculating a yield so they would just advertise high yields, like 50% APY to borrow on this protocol. And that attracted large pools of capital from crypto whales to be like, well, I'm going to put my money in this smart contract then because as I do, I'm going to get more tokens. And the tokens I can sell for more money because the VCs and the market makers were putting up their pools of collateral to allow you to have liquidity. Then they realized that like as it's growing, more and more people are selling this stuff. So the prices are going down. So they created the borrow lend protocol so that instead of selling it, you can just lock it up into this borrow lend protocol and then get more yield because now we're going to pay borrow you. The lend protocol, that is, that's not what we were talking before about before where, where it was the collateralized one. This is, this is the non-collateralized one? No, they're both collateralized. Oh. One, of them was, one of them is an exchange. One of them was like the... Um, I guess it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the repo as well. Except, uh, yeah, they're both they're both kind of like a repo market. They're all except, like the repo. <laughs> except it's not like a forward sale sort of agreement thing. It's just literally like a pool of capital that's fungible. So it creates fungibility as like a quality of tiered assets. 
So Curve was where was one of the earliest DeFi protocols where they could create fungibility between the different tokens. So USDT, USDC, DAI, and any other stable coin that was meant to be algorithmic or backed, they could create this fungibility between them so that if you had made a million dollars, you could just instantly through the smart contracts, just swap it for whatever, just like a, a MBS is tr- swapped for a treasury. This, and, or, this is just conventional finance. I mean, that is yeah. how dollars, Without regulation. That's how that, dollars achieve is, fungibility, which are all in. Venture Cap figured out that they could recreate traditional finance here and trick people into thinking that this yeah. was new and just extract the hell out of out of people and they are t- i mean like i i don't understand i mean the government is so far behind that they're so never going to claw back funds or return it's very important i think yeah. because i don't think that's been picked up by the mainstream by which i mean the traditional finance sector so the fungibility fun- point is essentially like the, in conventional finance you have all these different banks also creating money out of thin air frankly mm-hmm. but they invest in they, they have a lending business. You know, they're supposed to be lending to small businesses or for mortgages or whatever, right? They're creating assets with their, with their, with their loans. Um, but each bank has a different profile of assets. Each bank has a different sort of risk, you know, credit, credit profile effectively. And to ensure that the money they, because as, you know, Francis Coppola is very good at pointing this out, um, banks lend before they fund their lending, right? So they... You, if, if, you, if you're lending as a bank, you just like credit someone's account and then you do the funding. Um, mm-hmm. It just pops up as an asset liability, right? Match, but you have to match it eventually with some funding. Now, when, um, when you- And usually got, they borrow the funding from the repo market. Then that's where they borrow it. And, and in theory, all of that is a merry-go-round, right? Because when you, you as an individual bank, when you create your- whatever hsbc coins i'm not specifically you know uh, you know this is just an example um hsc hsbc's coins are like like an effective sorry hsbc shit coin um and it has to be it has to achieve a fungibility with natwest shit coin right yes if 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 now what is the thing that makes the hsbc ones merge with the uh, with with the natwest ones is essentially the fact that they all are squared and settled through the central bank. And the central bank, um, you know, is the ultimate police enforcer to make sure that everyone's assets balance out. But in the day-to-day, you know, off, you know, they have a uh, decentralized liquidity market. This is what happened in 2008, is that in LIBOR, they are trying to avoid having to go to the central bank to, to square off any imbalances in the system. And they have their own sort of community amongst themselves where they're lending and borrowing, you know, spare capital or spare liquidity as as they see fit to ensure they always balance and they can avoid going to the Fed or the Bank of England or whoever. But in theory, the way it actually works to achieve that fungibility is they, they don't, it's actually more like an insurance, like a cross insurance market than anything else, because they're essentially saying if you if you HSBC are short at the end of the day, and you might have to go, you know, to the to the Fed and borrow whatever. Well, we will, you know, someone in our little clique of banks will will lend will lend you the money, like so that you can avoid it. Now, what happened in two thousand eight is that everyone's credit credit profile became completely uncertain because the under underlying assets suddenly got vaporized we did what we thought had value didn't so it was a very this is absolute parallel to what's going on in DeFi now and yeah it's a confidence game 
like the the central banks are the confidence brokers in the traditional system, and there are no confidence brokers in DeFi. That's the problem. That's why it's all going to tumble down and fall apart. Well, there's and, no one here to come in and basically be the ultimate counter cyclical buyer of all this crap. Right. They're all making capitalist decisions at some point, just like JP Morgan in 1907 was like going to, you know, during the, the Knickerbocker, what is it? Knickerbocker, Knickerbocker, I forget how it's pronounced. <laughs> crisis. There was basically they rebuilt everything that like we've done in traditional finance without the central bank. So JP Morgan was like acting as the, the buyer of last resort during that 1907 crash when all the, the trust funds and the banks started to have runs on the banks. He came in and provided liquidity and kind of organized the the rescue of the financial markets after a bunch of failures started cascading to the rest of the markets. But after that, that was kind of the allegedly the impetus for like why the bankers lobbied for the central bank because there needed to be somebody to provide liquidity and to be the buyer of last resort for. You didn't want to have to depend on the J.P. Morgan whale. Which is basically right. what, what was happening. And that's where we are right now in 2022. We have the JP Morgan, but we don't have the central bank. But I don't think that's as... The, um, next, the next evolution then it will be all of the participants clubbing together and, uh, and arguing for the creation of a central bank. It'll be hilarious. Everything in crypto, Isabella, you have to realize is a bunch of millennials and, and zillennials getting together and thinking that they've discovered something new and everything they do has a pre-existing thing. Everything. Absolutely. Nothing and, new under the sun. And they don't know that. So, so it's very rare that any innovation actually comes out and what they usually do is whatever exists, but worse. And no, they, they just create new names for conventional no, concepts. No, it, it's different. It's, it's whatever exists, but worse because yeah, it's like worse. it's, it's worse because they don't understand, for example, generally when things grew up out, out of like the organic. So before computers, you had the Rothschilds, you know, start a bank, whatever. And, you know, the Rothschilds were making loans to countries and they, the, they were finding out the, the risks of making those loans. So what happened is over time, you know, they develop better practices and countries develop better practices and laws about how to take and give loans and et cetera, et cetera. And like all of these things kind of were iterative and they like countries regulated as things blew up and failed. Well, in, in this space, we have a thousand years of banking history, a thousand years of expectations. And what that means is if you want to create what we have today, you have this very fast paced creation of everything that has occurred over a thousand years in finance. Yep. And you have them all created today without regulation. Yep. 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 100%. And, and not just that, like that is such a good point, but it goes back to that thing that we said earlier, like all of this is built on a quicksand foundation of you get paid to do everything. So it attracts the worst participants because they're all fair weather friends trying to leech value from the system. And as soon as the tide turns, they're gone because they, they're only there to make money. They're only there to extract yield. And they're attracted by this yield. The, the, the VCs and funds put up these honeypots of yield. And so lots of people rushed in to get the yield. And when the bear market comes, and it's clear the yield is not as uh, the risk of getting that yield is not as good as like the collateral you're using to get the yield going down 90%. Everybody runs for the exits. And that's when the whole thing implodes because the entire thing was built on this like perverse incentive of getting yield from these stupid shit coins paying you to do the, the activities. And so the whole thing is like a liquidity vacuum. It's even worse than the other systems because 
you know, the game theory is like who can get out the fastest. Now it's at this point, it's like who can get out whole. And so there's like almost a competition happening. And like I said before, there was like that we're, we're about six months into the obvious top of the market and the bear market happening in crypto in a couple of months it's going to be like depression. Like these, these people are in like the, they're in the like denial or panic phase of the, the greed and risk, the greed and fear cycle. I, I, I thought they're further down. Like that's interesting. That no, you think they're not even that far down. They're not even at capitulation yet. Like in a couple of months. It, like, having been around a few like crypto themed events, um, I shan't name them, but I was, what I found fascinating is how, these um he- a lot of them are hedgy crypto hedgy people how they how resilient their mindset is to like the fact that they lost you know oh yeah terra- we we went through terra luna oh my god we lost a bomb but like we're still going we're gonna keep going well, is, is yeah. about, like in, in in our world in brad and my world if you if you admitted to getting stuck in terra luna that is that is admitting that you didn't you you were so dumb yeah. that i that that mavrodi could walk up to you and say I have an investment for you. It's a Ponzi scheme. And you go, take my money, all of it. <laughs> and then you're like, this is a legitimate Ponzi scheme though, right? And he's like, yes, a legitimate Ponzi. Legitimate and you give, Ponzi. you're like, yeah, it's a legitimate Ponzi. It's a pump until the whole world is in. Very good name, LPS. <laughs> like, LPS coin, very nice. Yeah. and hold. Yeah. So like, this is, this is like, this was an obvious Ponzi and Hedgie's got stuck in it. And they're talking as if like, it just like, we couldn't know, you know, it was LTCM. There was a Nobel Prize winning economists. And how yeah, could we have known it was a Ponzi? They're so forgiving about their bad performance. It's really like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, they're all, it's like we it's thought a it was a sure thing. Who could have guessed? Crypto collapses and I, you know, I'm still holding. <laughs> so like, OK, we get that. We get the yield, right? The yield uh, doesn't the yield doesn't attract retail in 2020 it attracts right. the 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 crypto funds the crypto degen traders it was like 10,000 people playing around with billions of dollars of actual capital inside of this gated ecosystem in the ethereum defi world but it wasn't attracting retail yet because it was too early it was too complicated you want to know what blew up the defi system in 2020 this is going to happen again. This is why it's blowing up now. It, that, it's already played out once in DeFi. It's going to play out again the same way. There was one protocol that got created that was called Cream Finance. And it was a fork of the other one that was accepting the tier one. Remember I was saying they they had this protocol creating fungibility between the different tier one collaterals. Well, this guy was like, we're going to pre-mine our own version and make a 10, 20, 30, 50 million dollars off of our own protocol, but we're going to let anybody deposit whatever they want, any collateral. So if you got sushi tokens, if you got hay tokens, if you've got, you know, Xbox tokens, like whatever the hell, like everybody's just creating all this nonsense and putting up liquidity pools. And this is like, this is like level nothing. This is like this, these guys mixed and matched anything so it created like this real subprime it's this worse like, than subprime it was like yeah. the, the subprime DeFi. Underprime. it was like actually you know what it was like it was like in the 1990s um when wall street started creating these structured products overseas getting the credit agencies to rate it triple a based on the one like piece of yes. collateral it, it, there was a piece in in the basket it, they would basket like mortgage 
sort of like agency MBS, which yeah. is tier one collateral with not with crap subprime stuff. And then they would get the agency to rate it a, because there is some a in it and then sell that to like, uh, retirement funds in the U S or municipal mun- municipalities. It was, it, was, it was financial engineering and the way they did like that. They, they synthesized, um, a sort of AAA or, or high, mm-hmm. high quality asset out of the structuring of how, um, how the different tranches pay out in a liquidity issue in, in an event. So, even though um, it, and it was always, you know, the funny thing about that that entire situation was that people who held the shitty tranches and like you bought it and you priced it right, you bought it as a shitty tranche. Um, they did okay. It was the people who held the top tier um, tranche, thinking it was top tier, and it, it it wasn't that 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 failed. But like, it is exactly is that it, is that the two thousand eight version of it or the nineteen nineties version of it. That was the 2008 version of it. So I read this book called Fiasco by Frank Portnoy. And in that book, he describes the, the genesis of that, the, the, the whole like synthetic uh, structured oh, products thing. No. Such a good book. You, you got to read it. It's so interesting. And it's exactly what DeFi is. Like it's DeFi. It's DeFi now. It was the structured, pro- the creation of the whole structured products thing in the 90s. And, you know, because there was no regulation at all back then. And, you know, even though it was crazy in 2008, it was even worse in 2000 uh, or 1990s. It just wasn't as big. So it never blew up the whole economy. That's mm-hmm. what DeFi was. The, the equivalent of DeFi in, in summer 2020 was basically like the structured products in the 1990s. It was just a bunch of insiders playing with each other and like blowing each other up. It wasn't really leaking out into like the, the traditional market, like like Celsius and stuff like that has now millions of customers that are uh, going to get wrecked just like in 2008 it eventually got so big that it affected everybody currently wrecked they can kiss that money goodbye so celsius how do we best describe celsius what is the best way to describe it so celsius is so so in the collapse of 2020 there's this one fund ftx which is kind of started this last year started buying naming rights on stadiums and getting their brand out there more they were one of the big whales in DeFi. they were like they're like the jp morgan that rescues that goes and rescues things they were they were an exchange right they're an exchange exchange, they're an exchange but they They also have a fund yeah alameda is the fund so there's an exchange and a fund so the exchange has a fund yeah, the exchange it was started. It started as a fund. It was actually these these traders, these quant traders, these like genius quant traders that made a billion or two dollars just trading in these markets, Alameda Research. And then they realized that all the other exchanges were kind of shitty and they they weren't as uh, good as traditional market futures exchanges and stuff. So they created their own because they're really smart devs. And now it's actually the best exchange to trade on. Most traders love FTX. It's like when Enron tried to create their own exchange. <laughs> did they really? Yeah. Yeah, they did. And then um, the the banks so didn't funny. like it. So they, they created, they, 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 if I remember correctly, they, they dedicated their liquidity to a rival. Um, and then before the exchange wars could really take off, Enron collapsed. But yeah. Ah. Okay, so... So this is what happened. This is the, the the like the games like that that were happening in crypto. Ethereum was the number one blockchain for DeFi, but it became obvious that Ethereum was completely broken. Like John Seth said, MEV is not a good thing. It's not a good thing that you can have transparency in def in finance because it's like when a when a bank has to go to the discount window 
to to the Fed. Well, everybody, yeah. everybody knows that you're going to the discount window. They can see you're going there. It's report self-fulfilling prophecy you end up self-sabotaging so you avoid something bad's gonna happen going to the fed window right so instead they go to like uh, the libor markets or something else like you were saying to try to avoid the stigma of like having your visibility into what you're doing DeFi is like the entire thing is the fed window Everybody can see everything. Everybody knows everybody's positions. They know when you're going to get liquidated. They can see your stop losses. They can front run you. They can exploit you. They can look, they can research the, the, the DeFi coins that you're in and actually fund hackers to go and blow them up and cause you losses. It's insane. Everything is completely transparent. So at least we'll give it to DeFi that it's better than the traditional system in that you can see how crazy it is. In the traditional system, everything's opaque and we can't see how, how over leveraged and crazy this it is. is. Good, this is not good for the concept that transparency is like <laughs> the thing that sorts everything out, right? But we, we, we knew that that wasn't the case. Like okay. the idea that banks in a capitalist system or in any system, the idea that competitors want to, sh- to show you all their information is idiotic. Why, if you're a bank, would you want to tell everyone what you're about to do? Why, if you're a trader, would you like, this is why like pushing this idea of like Robinhood, for example, selling user data and uh, Andreessen Horowitz uh, saying that like, no, it's actually a good thing. It's a good thing. It's beneficial for you that we sell your, uh, your trading data to these banks. It's obviously not. Because <laughs> there's value that's extracted, but also it's it's paradoxical because it only creates a, uh, an incentive to create a dark pool or, or obscure or or use sort of some sort of Machiavellian process to to uh, you know bypass the transparency. It's it's you know it's the Grossman Stiglitz paradox as um, as I like to refer to. Um, obviously, that's the theory that perfect information is impossible in in a market because as soon as you achieve it. The incentive to like um, to get the information goes away, and therefore inefficiencies come about because people just can't be asked to be in the market because they can't make any money out of it. So therefore, it's a permanent self fulfilling prophecy, um, and you see that evolution with HFTs eventually kind of like having to you know you you see the the counter response to to hyper efficiency is dark pools because you can't have a market if it's perfectly um transparent but the efficiency of markets relies on market secrets like it really does there needs to be information that is extra is is not known to the market and that could for example be your own liquidity um and 100%. there's a lot of there's a lot of really amazing traders in the world that know this, you know, uh, like George Soros, for example. Yes. So, <laughs> so we where were we in the story? Okay. So, so, so we've got like Alameda is a big player in this story. Alameda the research is the J.P. Morgan. They're like the tier one crypto hedge fund. Then they own FTX Exchange. Mm-hmm. What they also did was create their own blockchain called Solana. They pre-mined that blockchain called Solana because they're That's traders. The one that Melania likes. Okay. So Solana was basically like we're gonna we're gonna do DeFi, but in a better way. It's gonna be faster. It's gonna have some privacy. It's gonna be more scalable. So it'll be cheaper. So that people so that retail will be able to afford it. Because on 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 DeFi and Ethereum, you basically have to be a whale with like $700,000 minimum to even go bother playing in this thing because it's like 50 bucks a transaction. Sometimes it can cost you $500. 
to pull out of that curve pool, if you were to provide liquidity to try to be a market maker in that curve pool, it was like a five hundred to a thousand dollars fee to get in and out. So like you really have to be a whale to participate in Ethereum DeFi. So you had FTX, which is like a much more um, better operator for finance than the Ethereum folks create their own blockchain to be competitive with Ethereum. Because if they can create their own DeFi blockchain and actually get the network effects stronger because they built something better in terms of faster and whatever, they could pre-mine their coin and just make billions of dollars by creating a market for their own DeFi system. And so they, they knew that in summer 2020, they knew that they were about a year away from launching, about six months to a year away from launching. And Ethereum was gaining significant network effects. They were attracting traditional people from the financial markets. People were leaving banks to come work on Ethereum DeFi protocols and create their own stuff. They were actually getting some pretty big headwinds in, in the summer of 2020. So what, <laughs> what the guys from Alameda did was they came in and crashed the whole thing and brought it to its knees. So they came in as liquidity providers and they poisoned the well. Yeah. They attacked all these different protocols with liquidity attacks. They used their pre-mine of their coin as collateral in this lending protocol, borrowed against it because these dummies allowed you to put anything in there. So Alameda was like, well, we're just going to create a stall effect. We're going to like crash Ethereum DeFi as long as we can so that we can gain network effects so that we can be the number one DeFi blockchain. And of course, this isn't really talked about much because, you know, the, the insiders know this is what, what happened, but not many people know this because it was kind of before it became well known, uh, DeFi. But so they took a billion dollars worth of their own token, put it up as collateral, borrowed Aave coin, bor uh, Uniswap coin, I mean, borrowed Curve coin, but all the top tier one crypt blue chip DeFi coins, they borrowed all the to those tokens out and sold them. And shorted the whole market and crashed the whole thing. It like literally went from like to negative 90, 95% in like two weeks. And it really put a chilling effect on DeFi because everybody got wrecked all of a sudden. It was like, oh, we're making money. This is the future of finance. And then Alameda comes in and just hammers the whole thing and says, nope, not now. <laughs> so it was hilarious. It was like such a shark move for them to do that. But then, you know, Fast forward, Bitcoin starts to rip. We get COVID. We get we get the stimulus. Everything reignites because the VCs are out there raising money. They kind of apologized, whatever. They 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 took their funds back. <laughs> they started building in DeFi, and then they created this multi-chain thing. So they tried to not only do the liquidity on Ethereum DeFi. They tried to create. So FTX launches Solana and puts up these massive pools of liquidity in Solana. So kind of competing now. Now you got Ethereum competing with Solana. And Binance, which is the biggest exchange in the world, crypto exchange, 10x more users per day signing up than Coinbase. Global, they start launching their own blockchain too because it's too expensive to use Ethereum. They create the, the DeFi for the retail. They create the Binance smart chain. So you got now FTX... Binance Smart Chain. It's basically a copycat of Ethereum, but cheaper and faster and a little bit more centralized. Yeah, very centralized. So Binance starts funneling all the users into Binance Smart Chain and copying all of the protocols that were on Ethereum, all these like 
primitives like Uniswap and Curve and Compound and the Borrow Lens, all that stuff. So you start seeing copy and pastes of all these DeFi protocols across the different blockchains. FTX is supporting Solana. Binance is smarting, Bin- supporting Binance Smart Chain. Then there's these other, every every crypto fund realizes, like, well, wait a second, we, sh- we can redo summer 2020 of the Ethereum pump where we got all these DeFi coins like make us billions of dollars. So they all start supporting their own ecosystem. And then you start getting like, Bitcoin goes on its run. It gives permission for them to deploy capital like crazy into 2021. Because they had it. you know, they had raised all this money and they got all these pre mines. In this in this and in this story, the blockchains are becoming an analogous to just balance sheets. Yeah. In some ways, yeah. It how do you how do you figure? How do I how do I like make everyone that has their own balance sheet and their own blockchain? Like so so all that matters is whether you know your own system balances. Well, it, Isabella, they're just they're literally just organizations printing money. To, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I suppose if, you could. If you need more money, you just hit Control P, and <laughs> uh, well, Control B for a blockchain. They, you get a blockchain, and if you have a significant number of people, like this is the this is the, the the negative incentive here. If you're like if you're an exchange and you have a lot of like super fans, your incentive is literally to hit Control P on a blockchain, print it, and uh, you just have money. Like yeah. I mean, like FTX is a perfect example, right? Like, they're all like competing ledgers essentially and a, and a balance sheet is effectively a ledger system that's a snapshot of of you know we know what that is but right. um, but what i mean is like rather than having to depend on like funding from an external source you're just you're just creating asset liabilities and and creating assets at the same time that are unfunded it's kind of like i kind of i like that i i think I've been resistant to the idea of thinking about blockchains as countries, but the, the more I kind of get on with these explanations, I kind of think it is a little bit like countries creating their balance sheets or in a way it's, it, it's like they have the ability to just create the bond. Like the token is almost like the bond and it's created from nothing. Well, the current- <laughs> it, it somehow I mean, has value. It, it, it's the entire, it's like, you know, it's the entire currency curve. Like it's, you know, you've got the immediate cash curve. You've got like sterling in the case of the UK and the entire sterling bond market that derives from it. Um, and yeah. And whatever yeah. it is, it's, uh, it's, it's blowing up. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's okay. We are going to get to the heart of the Celsius story. Now we're at, now we're at the phase of the market where retail is getting involved in crypto because Everything they're getting involved in everything, right? Yeah, so everyone's yeah. pouring into GameStop. Uh, yeah, you know all this stuff this is, is going the crazy. Stock portion. Elon Musk starts talking about Dogecoin. People are just off on the risk cliff, like looking for yield. Retail is many, betting on many sneakers. of my friends are now like all of their all of their crypto is in these various protocols. I know this at this at this point. So at the beginning of 2021. You got you got like these headwinds for sorry, these tailwinds for things like Celsius, because in the 2020 bubble, it was very difficult for anybody to come in and figure out how to use a blockchain to like use use decentralized finance and earn yield like that was pretty wild. But in in 2021, all the exchanges started to integrate with DeFi and all the centralized, easy, easy user experience points 
started to say, well, deposit your stable coins with us and we'll give you 8% yield. And what they were doing was on the back end, they were just using DeFi and doing their own types of trading and lending and things like that. Like BlockFi was, was grew really big because they were doing like the, the GBTC arbitrage sort of carry trade you know, for a while. Do you know about that, you know about that Isabella? No, but it's just it's all shadow banking as far as I'm concerned. Shadow banking, of course. Yeah. It's it's so much dumber than shadow banking. GBTC was trading at a premium. Uh-huh. So BlockFi was offering a huge guaranteed margin on like basically letting them loan like giving them money to, to loan out. So they were putting the bitcoins into GBTC and then like once the GBTC would uh would come back to them, they would sell it for that premium and then give the portion of that premium back to the seller. And so what happened is they did this so much that the premium got eked out. And now it's trading at a negative 30% discount to NAV. Oh, my God. Okay. It's so, only so many crazy concepts I can handle in a day. But, okay, go on. <laughs> well, basically, the main concept of this part of the story is that there's now a user interface for DeFi. And right. it's, you, don't, you don't actually have to use DeFi. All, all it is, it's being marketed to retail and to high net worth individuals as yield, which right. is based on nonsense from DeFi. It's based right. on that that house of cards from DeFi, but they they put this like user interface layer over it, which is just Who's like that? a website. Celsius, BlockFi. Well, not oh, so much I BlockFi. See. But I see, I see, I see. All so the exchanges, Coinbase, Gemini, all the so crypto they're just exchanges. Trying to make it user friendly. Well, they're, they're trying, trying to make you yeah. not know that you're. They're, they're obfuscating the fact <laughs> that you are participating in this complex derivative product. Yeah, they took away all that all the Ponzi scheme mechanics and just said eight percent yield. And, and because this is the point, this is the point where like Novogratz and them start screaming, "It's riskless!" Yes, that's where Novogratz starts going and talking to all of his Wall Street raccoon buddies to say, "Like, yeah, look at Bitcoin. It's very interesting. Like, it's digital gold." But just wait till you hear about Terra Luna because you can get twenty percent APY on your stable coins. So he's going and like selling, like macro folks and institutions on the idea that you can get 20% yield in Terra Luna and starts tattooing his arm with, with a Terra Luna and real vision starts promoting all this stuff to all these macro folks and all these wall street analysts start actually putting dot ETH in their names and like Jim Bianco and folks like that start to actually start doing analysis on DeFi coins. And they start repeating the same mistakes we made in the 2017 bubble. They grab the utility narrative again and they say, well, because Aave is a, a borrow lend protocol, that means the Aave token is representing the value of the protocol and you can apply a PE ratio to it. And based on the total value locked into the protocol, um, that means its price target should be. Th they start writing like 10 page reports on each of these things. It goes insane all, all through 2021 and people just drink the Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. And so that I'm here telling everybody at that time, like, you guys are crazy. This is all nonsense. I'm going on podcasts and go I went on Real Vision like three times to try to like talk some sense into folks, but nobody wants to listen in a bubble. No. And I mean, I'm predicting all these things are going to crash and they're going to go down 90, 95%. It's going to yeah. blow up. Nobody wants to listen because they're making money hand over fist and I'm just a toxic maxi. <laughs> you know, I don't understand financial innovation. I think you so, understand it better than like anyone. Brad, I'm 
in awe. Like, no, seriously, you've so, so, done a great job explaining. So the last bit here, then. Well, I can explain it because it's been really difficult for me. I've just been learning about the traditional finance system over the last couple of years. That's the key to understanding everything, what has come before. Yeah, is it relevant. is. <laughs> it was actually like, you know, I, even a year ago, I was kind of still hanging on to old libertarian concepts of the Fed just prints the money and is the problem. And like there's fractional reserve banking. And I just was like, you know, I was hanging on to these kind of like old boomery or, uh, you know, like gold bug things where they would just make you emotionally um, react to the problems in the in the system without digging in and seeing how it actually works. And the more and more I dug into the system and the previous cycles of what happened to see things go wrong, the more I kind of realized that there's a lot more nuance than I was told. <laughs> and a lot of it is a lot of it is uh, it's simplified for people. Like when you say the Fed prints money, it's not really accurate, but it is a good meme. <laughs> I mean, it, that's exactly what right. I mean, I that was one of my massive sort of bugbears for years during the whole like early days of QE. And I would go around saying it's not technically money printing. It's actually an asset swap, but um, nobody wants to hear that. Now, it's just like Brad, nobody. Brad, Brad, real quick, as, as another one, when I, you can, you could use this trick if you want. When I go to places where there's high concentrations of libertarians, which, you know, I'm in often cause I'm in Bitcoin. I actually carry with me last year's uh, fed audit. <laughs> I print I print it out because libertarians carried like around say, like the constitution. Yeah, yeah, because libertarians say that the Fed never gets audited. And then uh, so when they do that, I hand them a folder and they go, Well, what's this? And they never expect it. It's, it's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. It's like the, that's funny. The yeah, constitution. Fed audit 2022. So yeah. so the, anyways, so what I guess what I was saying is like I think I'm good it's at explaining like that it. Audit. It's not real. Exactly. Yeah, it's not a real audit. I think it's like I'm good at explaining it because I'm a dummy. So like I can relate perfectly well with a with a with like a, a normal average person. That I told her that Brad. I told her he's really dumb. No, I, <laughs> he's really smart. I'm very impressed. Okay, I'm. I'm anyway, I'm, so we're at, one source for all explainers now. From now on, so we're at the point where everything is just going crazy. Everyone's putting their money in. Yeah, it's yeah. like regular people are now being attracted by this yield concept and this is just being sold at coinbase gemini and the crypto.com is sponsoring ufc and the staples center and like all these crypto companies are attracting celebrity partnerships and it's just getting hammered over everybody and at the very top you've got people like real vision raul paul the co-founder of real vision remy went and like went all in on Terra Luna and they started sending this out in Raul Paul's GMI like newsletter to all these high net worths and analysts and stuff that like Terra Luna is a great bet. And like, it just goes insane. Everybody drinks the Kool-Aid and they start signing up millions of people. And what they're doing really is yeah, they're just creating a front end for DeFi because what Celsius and what Terra Luna was doing. So with Terra Luna, you actually had to go and use the blockchain. You actually, you had to go and watch YouTube and figure out how to get into Terra Luna, deposit your stable coins. And, you know, these exchanges were, were enabling it and creating bridges to these stable coins. Like you could buy the stable coin for Terra Luna's blockchain on the exchange. 
And this is so so Celsius put five hundred million dollars of capital into Terra Luna. This is the thing why it had it all became interconnected. You remember how I was telling you about how there was a, a, a fungibility pool in DeFi between the stable coins? So Terra Luna's idea was like an evolution of the MakerDAO idea that started the whole stablecoin thing. They were like, we're going to create a whole separate blockchain just for MakerDAO. The whole blockchain is just going to be MakerDAO. There's going to be this token Luna, which these VCs have all pre-mined and got involved with. They're going to pump the price of Luna, which is going to create this ability for you to like collateralize Luna to make UST coins, which are pegged one-to-one with, with uh, dollars. So the more the Luna price goes up in value, the more there is the room to create UST coins. And it grows from $1 billion to about $20 billion in the matter of about a year because of this narrative around yield and the bubble continuing to inflate all over crypto. And it was through DeFi that it grew. It was through things like Celsius. So customers were getting their deposits on or getting their money and putting it in Celsius because Celsius was saying you're going to get 8 to 10% yield or whatever. Crypto.com, Nexo, all these all these uh, yield things that were targeting retail. Plus, you got high net worth individuals. I can't count. Like, There's probably like six or seven people that came to me saying like, I'm using Anchor Protocol to get 20% yield. What do you think? I'm like, how did you even get to that point where you, you know how to use Yuna? You know how to use Anchor Protocol because Anchor Protocol, like, MakerDAO is not a Ponzi scheme. Like the idea that it's just a it's just a high risk leveraged, you know, like financialized product. But Terra Luna took the MakerDAO concept and then put a Ponzi scheme marketing thing on top of it with the Anchor Protocol. The Anchor Protocol was like unsustainable hyper growth engine for Terra Luna UST. Combined it with combining that with like co-founder of Real Vision, Galaxy, all these like people endorsing it, it created the conditions for massive growth and tons of people started putting their money in because it was sustained yield that they were getting. So this is the most insane part of what happened was you get Celsius taking customer money from retail, putting it into tank uh, air, uh, Terra Luna. You get VCs and high net worths and, doing, and do, uh, everybody else doing that. And then... They cr- remember how I said they're creating bridges between blockchains? So they create the bridges between the blockchains. So they create a leverage mechanism so that you can go from the Terra Luna blockchain where you're getting 20% APY, and then you can take that, that deposited uh, token. So when you deposit money into the Terra Luna, let's say you deposit a million dollars into Terra Luna, right? You get back this token that represents your position. You know, in a normal system, you just file that token away and be like, that's my token for my million dollars. That's not my receipt. Crypto. Not in DeFi. In DeFi, they created a mechanism where you can take that receipt, deposit it into another one and get another 20% yield. So you're getting paid to use your receipts. So you get paid to use your receipts. So you take your receipt of your 20% position, you deposit it again, you get another 20%. You get back a token that says you've got a receipt of a token. Now you've got a receipt. You take that receipt, you put it back in Anchor Protocol. Now you're making 60% yield. So now you've got a receipt of a receipt of a receipt of a synthetic coin called Luna, which is not worth anything in the first place. You you might as well do it another couple times and get 100% APY. That 
that mechanism of total nonsense leveraged synthetic garbage grew yeah. Terra Luna's ecosystem to, to at least another $10 billion because right. everybody was attracted to that yield. And that's, that's how it, and that's how it came out of nowhere to like be, become so big. Yeah, because everybody was saying this is this makes sense. <laughs> this is this is fine. But it's all and it's all air. It's all it's, it's all nothing. Yeah, it's yeah. all nonsense. So so then Terra goes down and and explain Celsius so we're at Celsius. Celsius like actually was one of the reasons why it went down because they took out five hundred million dollars of liquidity like two days before Celsius went down. The looping thing. So back in January, when I was seeing this was growing Terra Luna so big, I'm like, this is nuts. Like, this is this is the LTCM moment here. Like, any moment, this thing's going to blow up. It's going to cause a cascading failure in DeFi. Leverage, 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 leverage. And, no, and nobody's going to bail it out because there is no central bank in DeFi. So it's just going to blow up like, you know, like 2008 should have. You know what I mean? But what happened was the peg started to drop on this UST coin. And when the peg started, starts to go down, that's the confidence loss. Like the Fed provides confidence in the markets, right? Like you said, the fungibility between the shitcoins of the commercial banks is in the end, it's, it's fungible because the central banks provide confidence. The Terra Luna guys decided to be hubristic and say, we're going to back it. We're going to like back it by $3 billion of Bitcoin. So they, they tried to act like the Fed. And, you know, when the Fed comes out and says they have infinite money at the Federal Reserve and all that, like, that's just a confidence game. They actually can't stop a liquidity crisis if if it actually happened. But they provide the confidence signals to the market so that it, hopefully that's enough to stop the crisis. In Terra Luna's case, it wasn't enough because once people start to actually realize this thing is depegging <laughs> and they but start I, to realize. As I argued before, the actual act of, of um, collateralizing it with Bitcoin sent the inverse signal to the market it, it, it actually highlighted that they didn't trust yeah, the protocol exactly the, the, the protocol was completely broken and they needed to provide this confidence game to the market and celsius took their money out which caused a massive liquidity suck which enabled it to be exploited this, by whoever this is, where I'm, this is where i have a very nerdy question so when when celsius took its money out it, it took out ust right so it ended up no, in, actually, they, they, sparking they, the collapse, but also ended up like holding sh like valueless UST or did no, it? They, they, they took they took out what, what the most of the uh, money they took out was their actual receipts. So they unwound all the receipts and took right. back the, the ETH, you know, the the at the time, which was worth a lot of money. Uh, so they, actually, think, they, 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 they went all the way. They, they, they rewound all the way. Yeah. To get the ETH back. To get the main collateral back from the anchor protocol. And then I think they probably sold all their rewards, which would be like, I don't know if it was UST or whatever it was, but that was a big confidence thing saying that like, so Celsius was one of the biggest pools of capital that was trusting the system. And when they pulled everything out, it was like, oh, well, maybe I should also pull out like people once these like panics start, right? Like the smartest thing to do in the, the game theory here is like to just get out with your money, protect your assets. And this is like what John Seth, when I explained this to John Seth a while back, like back in January, he's like, you know, if you could figure that out, you better guarantee, you better know that some smart like wall street fund has already figured this out. And it's just a matter of time before they short the whole thing and blow it up. And it was like a couple of months later it's that happened. It's such a mirror of what happened in 2008. It's actually hilarious. 
And we even had Jim Cramer, I think, from CNBC, um, like back in March, like maybe even May, talking up the market and saying it's, it's going to be fine, like he did with Bear Sands. <laughs> I mean, it's the mirror is insane. So okay, so so now Celsius has pulled all its money. Terra's Luna's gone down. And what's happening between now and the <laughs> suspension of withdrawals that happened this so, week? So why, why I was predicting that Celsius was going to be the next domino to fall after Terra Luna fell was because Celsius lost a significant amount of their funds in DeFi and didn't disclose it because I right. have like friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I have friends in this ecosystem that kind of keep me posted on things and I watch wallets and stuff. And I didn't know for sure that they were insolvent, but I suspected that because I knew they'd lost like 30,000 ETH in a stupid mistake where they deleted their smart key, their smart contract key or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the dumbest thing. They just lost the key. <laughs> when did that happen? A year ago, and they didn't disclose. Hello, recover that lost capital, and they've probably been taking more risks to try and like earn it back, right? Hello, hello Isabella. This is Wells Fargo. We we accidentally deleted all of your money. <laughs> we just delete. We just it's gone. Deleted it. Gone. We, had, uh, we gone. Had delete, and it's gone. <laughs> 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 30,000. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, like, ridiculous. And, and it's funny because that news sw got swept under the rug because it, it just so happened at the same time that that happened, two other really bad things happened that was, that was took all the heat from them. So they, they got kicked out of the UK and uh, for for rehypothecation and their prime broker basically like their their custodian uh, kicked them out as a client for risky rehypothecation. So they were dealing with all these headlines about like Celsius loses its status as uh, you know as custodian and and a couple of other things that happened. And they wow. were they swept it under the rug that they that they deleted the key and lost all these customer funds. <laughs> Couple months later, it's funny every they, time. It's, funny every time. it's <laughs> <laughs> hello, Chapo. Um, this is HSBC. We we apologize. We deleted <laughs> we deleted all your money. <laughs> Another thing too that they did was they gave a they gave like they started this anonymous account, and this is kind of underreported too. Not many people know about this. Celsius started this anonymous DeFi account called OXB One on Twitter, and they started with a hundred million dollars, and they grew it in 2021 all the way up to a billion dollars so they made a billion dollars through doing all this risky DeFi stuff and freaking buying nfts they were doing nfts they were buying board apes and crypto punks and all this stuff and they they got the account up to a billion dollars when china banned bitcoin a couple of months later they were way over leveraged on that account and it went to zero you could see it on chain they went negative the account went negative. They owed like fifty million or something like that. <laughs> it's so, funny. so, so, so I was Every looking at time. this. I'm like, I'm like, wait, how could they take such crazy risk? It can go to zero from a billion. They can lose oh, the keys. Man. They get kicked out of the UK. They, their their prime their prime broker kicks them out for rehypothecation. A couple of months later, the CFO gets arrested for fraud for participating in Ponzi schemes in Israel. The CFO I mean, of the company, Brad. I don't, think, I don't. I don't think that people understand <laughs> leverage. It, it's very obvious to me that people in this space and and generally in other spaces don't understand leverage. Like you know, it's funny. 
libertarians like to talk about easy money, right? Like y'all, I guess you you maybe not so much, but libertarians generally are obsessed with easy money, right? Would you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think well, it's I don't hang out with libertarians. Well, well, what's easier than collateralized loans against you know with, with you know f- for your for your own uh, that, that you put your own like equities against? And like the reason I say that is because like generally the idea is that easy money just makes it really you know easy to get access to money. It's it's not a difficult concept. So when these protocols develop this way of basically putting in a little bit of a little bit of equity and you you are able to get back 137,000%. Insane. Insane. You you end up with this you end up with this hilarious world where libertarians love giving themselves easy money. <laughs> That's what I've always said, Josh. I've always said that, like, we're just recreating the old system. Under yeah, but, but Isabella, your entire life philosophy isn't based on the fact that easy money is bad and no. that you yourself are, are so smart that you should be allowed to make decisions for yourself because you are Mr. Super Smarty Pants. But are the libertarians <laughs> into DeFi? Like, I I mean, I, I thought the libertarians are more... Really? I, I don't I don't see many libertarians um in my daily like circles. I, I bet you some of them have libertarian views, but I don't most... I don't think that's the case. I think DeFi is, is quite a um politically a, agnostic area now. A lot of a lot of people in the in the left and on the anarchist side are for sure attracted to these things because they hate Bitcoin because it's apparently bad for the environment and they missed it. And they've been critical of Bitcoin for so long that when they see something that can give them yield and they're like, I have so many friends on the left that were like, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like Bitcoin so much, but I'm into DeFi and I'm getting 20% on anchor protocol. And I'm like, Oh my God, I, how can I save this person? Because I've been like telling them for 10 years to buy Bitcoin and now in 2021, they're actually sh- shoveling their their money into Ponzi scams. It, it, yeah, it was it seriously. I think it was I, the yield. The yield attracted a lot of people. It's a serious temptation to get 20 percent interest on your money, and that's the biggest fraud in this cycle was legitimizing these risky, toxic things as if it's yield. What I want to know is who who was the kind of like. Um, stereotypical client of of cel- of celsius was it like you know the cliche of the dentist type back in 2008 or is it the um everybody everybody it's it's everybody and it's not just it's not just anchor protocol celsius it was i was because i'm a i guess i'm like a sentiment vacuum like i constantly am watching for what retail's doing what my high net worth circles are doing like what bitcoiners are doing i'm just trying to like hoover up sentiment and see where we are at the cycles and it was obvious that we were at the peak of the bubble back in like january 2022 i mean because- i've been i i was watching i was at a um i was at a conference that i i i'm not sure if it was chatham house or not so i, I won't mention who organized it just in case um but it it featured quite a lot of high net worths and they were talking about allocating 10% of their portfolios to crypto and this sort of stuff. I thought that was insane. Yeah. A lot of people were putting money into it. It wasn't just retail. It wasn't just Gen Z's spending their stimmy checks. It was like entrepreneurs. I have, I have, I have so many entrepreneur friends worth like eight, maybe even nine figures that were putting in millions of dollars into these Ponzi schemes. 
and I couldn't stop them. Some of them I did, and I've gotten so many text messages over the last month or two being like, thank but, God you by told the way, me. Notably, notably, these people that are starting to get here now and putting their money into DeFi, these are the same people that told me eight years ago that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme and insisted that they were certainly right. And when, when they got here, they were so arrogant that when we yeah. told them that they were in Ponzi schemes, they told us that we were idiots. Well, here's, here, since you are, you know, I think my, you know, historic readership um, would be confused by that because I think they would bag everything together, right? So why would you differentiate Bitcoin from all this other stuff? Well, Bitcoin is the thing itself, right? It is, it, it's literally like gold, if you will. People say Bitcoin has no backing. That's because you don't need, the thing itself doesn't need backing. It's the Nike shoe, not the Nike stock in, in a sense. And is that because of its um, quintessential link to proof of work and energy? You know, for me, intuitively, I think that's what gives it value because you are expending energy to create it. Therefore, it is something. It has achieved, you know, you you cannot just hack it through all these other mechanisms. You well, have to spend energy. It's proof of work. It's proof of work certainly matters. But the other thing that matters is that, I mean, people talk about Bitcoin being made pristinely, but it's different than that. Bitcoin was made without hubris. So the creation of Bitcoin is in some ways a little bit perfect. It doesn't have like Satoshi Nakamoto didn't design it with a desire for profit. He designed it as an answer to a math problem. It's the answer to the Byzantine general's problem. And what comes out of it is this token. It's like oil in that way. You can't put it back in the box. You can't delete it. It's here. Nothing you can do about it. But and, what about uh, look like coins that use exactly the same protocol? All of those, That's all of those. The, the, way I like to, the way I like to answer that one is that like Bitcoin, like John Seth said, solved the Byzantine generals problem and crypto created the Byzantine generalist problem. And yeah, we're and it's, it's, here's the, the thing, generalist if, if problem explode only, right now. The only thing that matters with regard to the with regard to this stuff is scarcity. Right. So and, in and principle, just, if so, you sorry, can print. Back up just a little bit, just for those who might not know what the Byzantine general's problem is. Can you explain very quickly as easily, like pretend I'm an eight-year-old? Okay, so, so the, 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 idea, the idea is that in a computer network, well, it, it starts out with like this analogy about all of these generals, but like let me boil it down in the like, computer sense. The idea is if you have a computer network of lots and lots of computers, is there a way to incentivize everybody in the network to contribute to the network in a positive way, even if the incentive exists to attack the network? Okay. Mm -hmm. So like in the case of Bitcoin, it's money, right? So how do you make sure that everybody who's contributing to the network is honest? It's nearly impossible, right? Well, so B Bitcoin does it in various ways, but the ways in which it does it are called proof of work. Okay, the ways in which the, the, the network comes to consensus about whether uh, a person has told the truth when they've contributed to the network is called consensus. And that moves it forward. And the way in which a consensus is achieved is people plug machines into the wall and they run the network this way. Bitcoin's kind of like a machine that lots and lots of people are taking energy out of, uh, you know, out of their walls for. And this. 
this global network of people achieving consensus, you know, creates this chain of blocks. And there's another way to do it that some other people talk about, uh, politicians in particular love to talk about. It's called proof of stake. And I would ask you this, like if you want, if you want to quickly debunk proof of stake, think about running an entire economy on proof of stake. It basically says that a proof of stake coin, because it, it, it doesn't use a lot of energy, but what it does do is it gives the biggest holders the most return. Because in a proof of stake system, if you have a lot of it, what happens is the network rewards you with more. So Elon Musk is the richest person in the world. Elon Musk would become would get huge paychecks uh, in this proof of stake system if it were reality. And, uh, and Isabella would get $3 a month, $3 a month. So proof of work is really the only way to tie yes. these blockchains. Yeah, newbie, proof of stake just seems a replication of the current system. Yeah, it is. It's, it's worse though. It's again, worse as everything in, in, yeah. in blockchain. So proof of stake is the only real legitimate way to tie this sort of ethereal proof coin. Of work. Pro sorry, proof of work is the only way to tie this like non-existent digital coin to the real world. And you have to have a real world anchor. So once you have proof of work, you have a real world anchor. Yeah. Now you, now you basically have to ask yourself, like, what's the difference between two proof of work coins? And the answer is that one is, one is better than the other. And the people that are burning energy will slowly move to the one that is better. Always. You, it will always flee to the one that is better. It, it, for some reason, there's a lot of idiots who don't think that's true. And they're mining a bunch of coins as a, like a point so of significance. New, um, first entry advantage. Yeah. Well, in part, but it's more than that. It's that the others are built with flaws and Bitcoin is not. They're built with flaws to enrich the creators. Exactly the way that Bitcoin was created. So you just like redo Bitcoin tomorrow? I mean, you'd, you'd get no network effect. So yeah, in that way, it's, it's, I mean, that's essentially what Litecoin did, right? Yeah. Yeah. The um, way the again, Litecoin the had flaws. The, the way I like to look at it is is like as a parable to or a parallel sorry to the to the financial system is that the U.S. Treasury right now is kind of like the base collateral of the entire world, mm -hmm. and you have to trust that the U.S. Treasury is going to be able to pay its debts and that they're not going to make too much of it. You you can't audit the supply in the next ten years of what the U.S. U.S.'s debt is going to be, and if you're if you're a counterparty now like that is not politically aligned with the US you're 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 cut off from trading in that in that base collateral of the world as we go more and more into a world where trust is continuing to be lost we're going to basically enter into a post trust world we're entering into that post trust world currently with the Russia Ukraine war right now um, Ray Dalio has a really awesome YouTube video that kind of describes the breakdown of trust and the breakdown of reserve currencies and reserve assets. Bitcoin is auditable by everybody that wants to audit it. The rules are set in stone. Nobody can print more Bitcoin. So it is the perfect collateral in a post-trust world. It's not that like, you know, next year we're going to start transitioning to using Bitcoin as a, as a collateral for global sediment between banks and central banks and countries, whatever. But it's possible that in this world continuing where we see the decentralization and the balkanization of global reserve assets, Bitcoin is a unique, a uniquely positioned asset in that any central bank can just hold their own keys and not have to worry about um, not getting their gold back. 
like what's been happening. Like there's so many examples of of sovereigns being censored by the 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 U.S. or the NATO or whatever, and like getting kicked off the SWIFT system. Right. And as we continue on into this world, no, like I, I agree with you because um, I mean I think that's where I made my con- like that's we've discussed this at length. Everyone's probably bored of it, but that's where I you know I I have changed my mind as I agree with with that principle. Um, but I'm conscious of time because it's two hours, and my I think our our well, viewers are not yet ready for these long. They, long- sure. Right. To take a bathroom break, everyone come back. We have another two hours. Uh, <laughs> no. How about we? How about we close this off with the this this song you've been telling me about by the Wings yes, of Life? That's what and, I thought. Brad can watch it. Brad, have you seen this? I want to thank Brad because I I, I love Brad. Should we, should, should let's wrap up the Celsius thing. We'll yes, we'll, we'll, we'll tie a bow on that. Oh, tie the bow, right? Tie the bow, Brad, quickly. With the, with the fun with the fun stuff. Go on. So so Celsius had a loan with Tether a $1 billion loan directly with Tether. And many people were like the Tether truthers were out there saying that Celsius was uh, an, uh, providing or got a, got a billion dollars printed from nothing from Tether. And that was risk to Tether as well, because apparently that like people thought Tether was out there giving all these free loans, like LIBOR style, uncollateralized loans, to all these risky crypto companies and crypto funds. And so George Noble and Bennett Tomlin and Caspian C and all these you know, Bitfinex, all these people on Twitter that's that are pushing this like fear porn that like UST is going to USDT is going to blow up like like the anchor coin UST did because they're doing all this risky stuff are just frothing at the mouth, hoping this cascades over to Bitcoin and Tether. And, you know, I was kind of like concerned by that, too. I was like, well, are they actually using Evergrande bonds and, you know, Celsius corporate paper to back Tether? Like, I don't want to be defending Tether if that's the truth. So I, I had a Zoom call with uh, with Paulo and Samson Mao, and obviously don't trust Verify. Like, this is just what I've been told. I, I believe they're telling the truth. But he told me that they don't take that kind of risk with the Treasury because they're making enough money being conservative because they're Bitcoiners. These guys have been around since the beginning, the early days of Bitcoin, and they've done a lot for the Bitcoin ecosystem, even though Bitcoiners don't recommend you use Tether like we like Bitcoin, we don't like Tether. We but when people attack Bitcoin through Tether, we tend to st- kind of speak up a little bit because a lot of it's nonsense. But so I asked them specifically about three months ago, like, did you loan a billion dollars to Celsius based on corporate promises and you know, like uncollateralized, you know, LIBOR so, style so, stuff? So Brad, so Brad, so Tether, you don't think has any exposure? They don't. He told okay. me that they they only so, do two two x collateralization. So they had. So let's let's get to the part where Celsius collapses just just for time. So so Celsius, Celsius had about. This is not. I don't know a hundred percent how much of this is accurate. This is just based on my calculations, having conversations with Paulo and Tether, and watching the blockchain and stuff. I think Celsius had about sixty to seventy thousand of customer Bitcoin locked up as collateral with Tether of the 150,000 Bitcoin that they had. And the other day when we had that huge price drop, the 21, we got into the 20s. That's when Tether got liquidated, when Celsius liquidated, was liquidated by Tether. According to Paulo's Twitter, they have no exposure to Tether anymore, to Celsius anymore. Celsius has been liquidated, no losses to Tether. So that means that that's the same day that Celsius hired the restructuring law firm and 
pretty much they're illiquid. They they're insolvent because they've been liquidated on the loans. I see. So it was Tether that pulled the plug on Celsius. Yeah, to protect the tethered peg, they they just well, I mean, liquidated them. That's only logical. Tether is in such a precarious position that they had to, you know, sell those sell those assets, right? So so Celsius was taking <laughs> extremely today um I guess some, they did some sort of evaluation or credit stress test on Celsius, determined that this is the loans are probably underwater or or no, actually, so what, they, what, they, had, what it was, they had Bitcoin, so it'd have been an LTV, right? Right. Yeah, they had they had custom. They Celsius took customer Bitcoin, deposited it with Tether, and got a billion dollars of Tethers to go then use in DeFi and go do all this Bitfinex nonsense in DeFi. Must be so happy. They probably made a lot of money. Problem. They're like, uh, uh, you won't, you won't believe we're going to liquidate. So it wasn't the case that Teva was lending to Celsius or rehypothecating customer funds. It was more that Teva, um, Celsius deposited the Bitcoin in Teva as collateral. No, it, it, it was that Tether was lending, but they were lending by over collateralization with the customer's Bitcoin. So Tether lent Celsius a billion dollars with Tether's back- treating the Bitcoin as the pristine asset. They're not taking yeah. like unlike these DeFi protocols, they're not taking Celsius or Aave. They're taking Bitcoin. So and then as if- the price of Bitcoin came down so much, they were no longer in good standing with their loan. And they because they're so a margin much, call. It's yeah. a margin call, yeah. And they were under pressure because they've got hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of customer deposits locked up in DeFi with all these other loans that they, they can't access. A margin call. So they had no they had no choice but to freeze customer withdrawals and try to keep defending the margin calls. And as the price got pushed lower, they got liquidated. And now they're insolvent. And that's that's the story of Celsius. And what is the protocol in terms of like communicating this to all their clients? It's only like what they radio what they, silence. That's what they've chosen. <laughs> Just not to say anything so far. That's what I that's what I would do. I'd buy a yacht. Apparently the I go I I'd, I'd be like it's maritime lot time. <laughs> so who's so the dudes at um at Celsius? It's this Mashinsky guy, and who's the other co-founder? Do we know? I'm not sure, um, but they're they've been instructed by their legal team to not do anything, not say anything. Like, it, they, probably, they're going they're probably having cold sweats right now because there's going to be a few people after them. I would I would well, imagine. and then and then Alameda. I mean Alameda made out like bandits the ftx folks as well so there are some people coming out on top of this this isn't going to be like all of cryptos crashing but i do believe that a lot of these risky people that were doing all this DeFi are going to get wrecked and a lot of these DeFi things are going to lock up because as this bear market continues we have not seen capitulation yet in the crypto coins i do think we've probably hit a close to a bottom in bitcoin because like Bitcoiners are not doing all this stuff. Bitcoiners are just holding Bitcoin as a savings vehicle. We're not out there taking crazy leverage and trying to do all this financialization and Speak trying for to yourself, Brad. <laughs> but typically, like you know, the the big whales that were holding Bitcoin, like Celsius, like Terra Luna, like Three Arrows Capital, that were doing all this stuff. They got they've been. You know, the, the the tide came out, they were exposed, they got margin called, and I think a lot of the sell pressure has already happened on Bitcoin, but it's going to be nothing but pain for the next year, I think, in DeFi. And I do think the liquidity is going to completely dry up like it did in 2008, and that will just decimate DeFi. I don't think DeFi is going to come out of this. 
Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And then just Free AC, they're a hedge fund. Who are who are Free AC? Yeah, they're they're one of the tier one crypto funds that was uh, propping up a lot of this stuff with liquidity and providing loans and you know like they had a lot of exposure. They're basically like um kind of like an LTCM where they were the smartest guys in the room doing all this quant stuff and you but know they're not they in trouble up. yet. No, they blew up. They're, they did they're blow done. up. Yeah, they're done today. Two days ago, same Two as same, same around within twenty four hours of Celsius. Yeah, they also blew up. I see. And do we so know who? Is, do we, were there any celebrity names endorsing it or anyone associated with that one? Um, not any celebrities, but they were a, one of the biggest funds. And you know, it's it's been rumored, it's been reported now that they got up to eighteen billion dollars, and now they've got like two left, and they're right. having problems meeting capital calls and stuff so uh, there's been so many tweet threads about people that are exposed to three arrows capital that now they're having problems because they can't you know (laughs) they got loans out it's gonna exactly move through the system so who who would be invested we we got a we got a lot of room for this because there's a lot more contagion where that's like this is just why don't we visit this like this is a great curtain raiser to the, like what I think will be a series of like collapses, yeah, <laughs> disaster zone. <clears throat> what's, what's interesting, Isabella, is in the real world as things happen, like the you know we see cascading collapses all the time. Like we saw it in like two thousand eight, right? Housing market went and blah 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 blah, blah and then the whole world just kind of like it it it, it feels very much. Like you have these two different sides of finance, and they seem to like have independent cascades, like. I can't I can't foresee, for example, a collapse in the crypto market having an effect on the housing market, right? It's very it's very interesting. It's like a completely independent cascade. It is it, that's what's interesting. It, it is kind of compartmentalized to a certain degree, but because Coinbase was listed, right? That's yeah. where the contagion pathway pos, you know, because pension funds can like like once you've got a listed the miners are listed, there's a lot of listed stocks. That's the pathway to um the real well, real world. Is, Isabella Maybe, but however, uh, you should know this: a a pension fund in Canada <laughs> had, had Terra Luna. Really? No, the four hundred million invested in Celsius. Oh, Celsius! That's right. They put <laughs> they put four hundred million in Celsius. To that pension plan. <laughs> How were they allowed to do that with their money? Was it, wasn't it a teacher's te- a teacher's pension a teacher's pension plan? Pension plan I think. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> It's so insane. funny. It's so that is funny. Then, terrifying. The quote, the quote, the quote of the guy says something like, you know, we're looking like at it's, it's zero. Just, it's it's we're, gone we're to zero. At, yeah, it is the quote of the guy's like, we're looking at these protocols, you know, we're gonna put money into you know a few of them and 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 definitely not into anything like Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like that Bitcoin's too risky. <laughs> okay. Well, there well, was another. There was another startup too that that grew really fast. It was a, a Y Combinator funded or accepted startup that grew to about fifty million dollars under ass management under assets. And what they were doing was providing yield for people. So, you know, they were they were giving you eight percent yield. And you, wait, 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 first of all, okay, we're really running out of time, but that is hilarious. Like my business model is just providing yield. Exactly. And get, it came out. I just make it. I just make it the came, yield and I give it like to a, you. It's like a cake. <laughs> it came you out. Bake it, it in the oven. 
what they were doing was they were just taking the money and putting it into Anchor Protocol. Yeah, and they were getting twenty percent and giving the customers eight percent, and it's that just, thing blew up. It went to zero. It's so funny, uh, I but think, it's all just like a reprise of everything that's ever happened before. But um, it's on wonderful. that look, I I have really enjoyed like talking to you, to you, Brad, and oh, as a, always, I always enjoy talking to you, Josh. But I think um, given the cheery mood in the market, one one duo. That have not given up believing in it all are the Win- the Winklevi, the Winklevoss, <laughs> and they um, wowed everybody this this week with a amazing rendition of Journey's "Don't Stop Believing." Josh, you have not important seen- message. It's an important huh? message, I'm sure. Don't stop believing. It's an important message in this era of turmoil. But I think I think we need to watch it. Let's do it. I haven't Let's seen this. So I'm have excited. you seen it, Brad? I I listened to five seconds and I turned it off. <laughs> We're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch it all. Okay, let's comes. go. Can't be can't be that great. They're so tall that that guitar looks like a little like tiny like a tiny ukulele in his hands. That is that is some bad bad. Is that their band? That is their band. How I'm fired like, up, guys? What, how does that happen? Like I think how when do you have enough money? You give up on life, and you just that's. I think that's now what we call he retirement. Not, he He's not, a good he guitar player, though. I think that's what we call retirement now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't go to the retirement home you start a band <laughs> when 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 kids are 18 they're like i want to be a rock star and their dad's like okay yeah whatever that dream will die when you're like 22 not 18 it looks like when they're like eight nine you know 14 and then they turn 22 and they're like i can't be a rock star i'm gonna go to college and be an engineer and dad's like okay that's more realistic yeah you do that <laughs> apparently now at around the age of 40 when all of us millennials retire because we're very wealthy uh you again go i'm gonna be a rock star and then you do it because you got money now so who cares <laughs> and you still fail but now you got nice equipment i know but they're a laughing star. it reminds me of the time that katie price who is i don't know if you know who she is she's like a a celebrity former glamour girl in the uk and uh, married to peter andre at some point I don't and know who either of those people are. <laughs> she, can't, she can't sing. And it was embarrassing, but apparently yeah. not a problem. But Isabella, who really is the cringe fest? The guys with like $7 billion or all the poor people in the crowd? <laughs> <laughs> on, that, on that really deep 
philosophical point. I think we'll end it. But um, unless you want to sing us out, Josh, I think. <clears throat> Go on. Go. Not that song. I've got the world on a string. Sitting on a rainbow, got the string around my finger. What a world. What a life. I'm in love. I've got a song that I sing. I can make the rain go every time I move my finger. What a world. What a life. I'm in love. There you go. You might not have the billions, but you've got a voice. I also might have the billions. Ah, yes. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the billions. Okay, very good. Well, thank you, Matt, Brad. It's been a pleasure talking, and I hope we check in with you again and that you will uh, help us uh, understand all sorts of other... Well, quick pr prediction. What's next? I really do think that uh, the, the next phase of this collapse is just all these tier one funds taking their liquidity out. And then once the liquidity dries up in DeFi, it's just all going to fall apart. It's, it's going to be just a mass failure of all these protocols and stuff. Because it's all based on these honeypot liquidity pools. And once the losses become enough, they're going to be like, why am I going to bail this out? This is too risky. So they're just going to take their money back. Once they take their money back, it's just all going to get wrecked. It's all going to get wrecked. So basically, Except Bitcoin. You ain't seen nothing yet is the conclusion. Dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> all right. I'm stopping the broadcast now. Thank you very much. Take care. And uh, there we go.